The city allows public participation via Zoom. Commissioner Johnson. Aye. <laughs> Commissioner Colstrand. Here. Commissioner Noctigal. Aye. Chair Souls. Here. Commissioner Sukanthira. Here. Commissioner Whitesey. Here and hello. And Vice Chair Yuen. Here. Great. Thank Everybody. you. Welcome, everyone. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go to agenda item two and ask for any agenda changes this evening. Seeing none, we'll close agenda item two, move on to agenda item three, staff communications, and I'll turn it back to you, Lisa. Good evening. Um, I'm Lisa Foster, Senior Transportation Coordinator for the City of Alameda. We have um, some events coming up. Mastic Senior Center will have Transportation 101 on, oh, I lost the date, March something and April 11th. It's in the staff communications and a hop on the bus with us on February 21st and March 28th. And then we have scheduled the Alameda Bike Festival, which will be on Saturday, April 29th at Ruby Bridges Elementary. That'll have bicycle safety education and fun for kids, teens, and adults. Um, no updates to my construction update from last time. I did wanna let you and everybody listening know that this is our last fully Zoom meeting beginning in March, 2023. Uh, 2023 um, transportation commission meetings will be held in city council chambers with options for public participation in person or via zoom to accommodate this hybrid meeting format the city clerk's office requested that all boards and commissions adopt a new order of business it'll change our agenda flow slightly so we'll still have roll call and then agenda changes staff communications and then instead of having announcements and public comment, we will have non-agenda public comments for the public. And then the consent calendar and the regular agenda items. And then instead of a second announcements and public comments, we will have commission communications and then adjournment. And then that will match up with all the boards and commissions and make the logistics of this kind of complicated hybrid format work easier for the city clerk's office. And so to do this, we'll be bringing bylaw changes to the March 22nd meeting. That concludes my update. Thank you, Lisa. All right, moving on to agenda item four, announcements and public comment. I'll first take any announcements. Commissioner Colstrand. Sorry, took me a minute okay. to unmute. I'll use this opportunity as the last time I can do this at this point in time, just to ask, I had a question about, and I'm not sure if there's anybody here that can answer it, but there are a number of parking meters in the downtown that are non-functional right now. And I don't know, I was just wondering if it was an upgrade or if they'd been vandalized and if so, when, um, you thought they might be back functioning again. Have an answer, shall I answer, Chair Please go ahead. 
Yeah, it's actually in the staff communications. So um, we upgraded all of the meters to 4G at the end of uh, the 2022. And then as part of doing that, um, sent a bunch in for me for screen uh, for screen repair. And so some of those are still out. So you'll see the mechanisms missing entirely. And so, you know, members of the public should know that the posted time limit still applies and the meter is not operational. Thank you. Thank you. Any other announcements? Okay, seeing none, let's move on to public comment under the same agenda item. Do we have any hands raised? Let's see. Currently there are 12 attendees and no one is raising their hand at this time. Thank you. All right, we'll close um, that agenda item and move on to the consent calendar. We have two items that we'll take under separate approval tonight. First is 5A, the draft minutes from the uh, special meeting that we had in November 16th. As you know, we're, we're, we're catching up with our, with our meeting minutes and with a few special meetings that we had. And so uh, on this one, I believe we had Commissioner Susan Thera was not present. And uh, with that, I will take any comments from commissioners or uh, edits to the minutes or entertain a motion to approve. Motion to approve. Lighting. Motion to approve. Thank you. Commissioner Colstrand. I'll second. All right, thank you. And uh, as you recall, we're going back to roll call instead of visual hands for votes. So at least if you would. Lisa, can you do roll call for the approval of the minutes? Sorry, I started talking and I was muted. That's okay. Uh, Commissioner Johnson. Aye. Commissioner Colstrand. Aye. Commissioner Noctegall. Aye. Chair Souls. Aye. Uh, Commissioner Whitesey. Aye. And Vice Chair Ewan. Aye. Thank you. The motion passes unanimously. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, that's all. Okay. I abstained, right? So. Yes, that's what I was to say. So. Yeah. Just for the record. All right. <laughs> all right. Item 5B, uh, we have the review and acceptance of um, MTC's Complete Streets Checklist. I'm going to turn it over to staff to do a brief presentation on this item. Um, and after that, we will uh, be taking a uh, action on reviewing and accepting that. Good evening, Chair Souls and Transportation Commissioners. I'm Gail Payne, Senior Transportation Coordinator, and I'm pleased to be presenting this item tonight. It is a Metropolitan Transportation Commission requirement. Um, it is a complete street checklist, and it is for the Central Avenue Complete Street Project. So um, I get I am a little grumpy that we have to do this, quite frankly, because it's usually for projects that are um, that they're trying to make sure that reach the complete street goals. And that's exactly the purpose of this Central Avenue project to improve safety and equity and transit use and um, bicycling and walking. So it, it really is a like the quintessential project for exactly what MTC is wanting to see. And, um, and it's a simple 
um, I, it's an, an exhibit one is the actual checklist that I've completed and, um, and all, all we have to do is, is have you review and vote on it. And that concludes my remarks. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any questions on this from commissioners? It, it, I read the checklist. It's very straightforward. We checked all the boxes. <laughs> Let me ask <laughs> if there's any public comment. I see no hands raised. And so uh, I'll, I'll make a motion to accept the checklist. Second. Thank you, Commissioner Suthanthir. And Lisa, if you could. Yes, um, Commissioner Johnson. Aye. Uh, Commissioner Colstrand. Oh, no. Um, yes. Commissioner Colstrand, sorry. Aye. And Commissioner Noctegall has recused herself. Um, Chair Souls? Aye. Commissioner Suthanthira? Aye. Commissioner Whitesea? Aye. And Vice Chair Ewan? Aye. Thank you. The motion passes unanimously with one recusal, and that closes out agenda item 5B. Moving on to the regular agenda, the first one we're going to take tonight is 6A. This is to endorse the annual report on transportation as well as the climate action and resiliency plan. And I'll turn it back over to staff to go through uh, the presentation and all the exhibits in the, in the packet. Welcome. Thank you. Danielle is going to get us started. Okay, thank you. Um, good evening, Chair Souls and Com Transportation Commissioners. Uh, my name is Danielle Miller. I'm the Sustainability and Resilience Manager for the City of Alameda. Um, together with Lisa Foster, we're going to be presenting the 2022 Climate Action and Resiliency Plan um, and Transportation Annual Reports tonight. So I'm gonna start with um, CARP, as we call it. CARP was adopted in 2019 um, to reduce the city, city's greenhouse gas emissions and address our, our climate goals um, by um, through clean transportation, clean buildings, sequestering carbon, reducing waste, and adapting to the impacts of climate change, all with um, through an equity lens. Next slide, please. Um, in 2020, Alameda, Alameda Municipal Power began providing 100% clean energy to all customers citywide. And with this hugely important step, um, the remaining emissions from um, in, within our city are 70% from transportation and 27% from natural gas use in buildings with the remaining 3% water, wastewater and other and waste um, sources. Uh, next slide. So um, every year we produce an annual report updating on CARP metrics, and I've prepared some of the transportation um, performance measures for you tonight, uh, focusing on electric vehicles and EV chargers, um, uh, mode shift and shifting for, to walking, biking, and transit is also a, a major component of CARP. However, I know Lisa will be covering uh, quite a bit of that, so I'm gonna leave that part to her. Um, but in terms of, um, zero emission vehicle adoption, we are actually really on track as a city in that front. Um, 
you can see since 2017, um, a greater share of electric of vehicles registered in the city of Alameda are electric vehicles um, at 5.2% currently, and CARP's goal is 12%. Uh, so we have a total of 2,700 electric vehicles uh, registered in the city of Alameda. Um, we also, interestingly, have a reduction, an overall reduction in vehicles that have been registered in the city by about 1,000. Um, and uh, AMP helps to, uh, AMP seeks to encourage the use of um, the purchase of used electric vehicles um, by pro providing a rebate for, for used electric vehicle purchases. They increased that rebate amount to $3,000 this year and increased the limit of the used vehicle to $40,000. Um, in 2022, 13 used um, EV rebates were issued. Next slide. Uh, CARP also seeks to um, expand the availability of EV chargers in the city. The map on the left is showing um, both public and private EV chargers that are available at business and retail locations. And then additionally, as a city, we are looking to expand the availability of public EV chargers and city-owned parking lots. And we've identified a number of sites shown here, which we're going to be working to um, to evaluate the, the feasibility of installing chargers at those locations in the coming year. Um, AMP also provides uh, uh, rebates for electric, uh, for EV chargers for single family, multifamily and commercial businesses It's $800 for residential, um, up to $48,000 for multifamily and up to $33,000 for uh, business and, and government uh, uh, customers. Um, you can see here that um, all of the rebates that were issued in 2022 were for single family residential customers, 112. Um, there were there were no is rebates issued for multifamily or commercial business rebates. Um, and, and that is reflected here on the graph below where there's no increase in EV chargers at businesses. Um, also just want to mention that AMP um, uh, provided a new e-bike rebate up to $600, excuse me, uh, for income qualified customers, I think $300 for other customers. Um, next slide, please. I just wanted to also update you that in the coming year, we will be updating our urban forest plan. This was a, um, a strategy, recommended strategy in, in CARP. Um, we're going to be updating this, the 2010 master street tree plan to include park trees as well promoting an increase in the overall tree canopy and really trying to develop a forward focus plan with equity at the center. Um, we'll be reviewing the structure and funding of urban forest management in the city and seeking to advance um, social equity and, and improve the quality of life in the city. Um, we are currently, um, there's currently a survey that's available for community uh, response and we really encourage and welcome both commissioners and members of the public uh, to take our survey and, and um, tell us what you think about urban forest and trees in the city. Next slide, please. Um, and then finally on adaptation, we are really ramping up sea level rise adaptation efforts um, in, the, in the last year and in the coming year. Um, the city of Alameda has received this last year $4.14 million in grant funding for adaptation projects. Um, that are shown here. We've been coordinating with an adaptation um, working group 
that encompasses um, agencies and jurisdictions and community-based organizations um, throughout Oakland and Alameda shoreline is shown in the, um, the orange boundary, the larger boundary around the Oakland Alameda area. Um, so we're seeking to advance these projects in collaboration with that, that working group and um, are in the process right now of issuing an RFP for community partners. We have um, secured funding through these grants for, um, for community to pay our CDOs, our community-based organizations to participate in our adaptation planning process. And we're looking forward to addressing some of these um, high priority locations that were identified in CARP. And uh, with that, I'm gonna turn it to, to Lisa to talk about the transportation annual report. Thank you, Danielle. So I'll address the annual transportation report, which shows our progress on city goals related to safety, mobility, and of course the mode shift required to meet our greenhouse gas emission goals, which she's been talking about. As you know, Alameda has a goal of zero traffic deaths or severe injuries by 2035. Sadly, in 2022, two people died in crashes on Alameda streets. One was a motorcyclist who lost control of his bike after exiting the Webster tube and was struck by an uninvolved driver. And then the second one was a driver also after exiting the Webster tube um, who had a solo crash and then died. Um, each of these deaths is a, is a terrible loss and a loss for our community. We did have fewer deaths last year than in 2020 and 2021, which were particularly bad years for us. We did have, however, more severe injuries in 2022. Um, 13 people were severely injured on our streets, three people walking, three people riding bicycles, and seven people in motor vehicles. So the increase was specifically among people in motor vehicles um, while all severe injuries are bad. The, the numbers of the people walking and biking is more typical for us. Um, and then the number of people in motor vehicles was, was much higher. Looking at crash trends by mode helps to look at our rolling five-year averages. So doing that, we see that since 2015, the um, traffic fatalities and severe injuries together have been more or less trending downward uh, for pedestrians, bicyclists, and people in, on motorcycles, but they have during that time been trending upward for people uh, in a motor vehicle. And you can kind of see a, a similar trend line here. Um, if you look at our traffic fatalities and severe injuries rate per 100,000 population, it trended downward generally between 2015 and 2019. Um, a time when the rates in Alameda County and in California were going up. Um, and then the pandemic kind of changed patterns. And then in 2021, rates went up in, in here in the city, including all of our severe crashes in the county and across the nation. Uh, so these are concerning trends um, nationwide. But because we had so many years of trending downward, we're still 51% lower than Alameda County and 66% lower than California. Um, so we are on our way, um, but of course no death or severe injury is acceptable and we want to get to zero. But we are working on making it better. We 
improved safety at 113 intersections in 2022, nearly 70% of which were on high injury corridors and almost a third in equity priority areas. These improvements included new flashing beacons, high visibility crosswalks, bulb outs, and daylighting. And then an additional um, set of signal improvements was done, uh, including automatic walk phases and also leading pedestrian interval. We have that now at 68 of our eight of the city's 89 signals. The rest don't have the technical capacity to do that. So we are working on um, investing in newer equipment. And we constructed 1.7 miles of new bikeways in 2022 and have now constructed 70% of the Cross Alameda Trail and have 53.6 miles of bikeways, including 22 miles of low stress bikeways for the bicyclists. The Alameda Police Department has started prioritizing traffic enforcement on our high injury corridors as they are our most dangerous streets. And last year, they 70%, excuse me, 76% of traffic stops were on high injury corridors. Public transit um, ridership is growing. Uh, last year, the AC Transit's route serving Alameda ridership went up 60% compared to the year prior, but there's still only 55% of pre-pandemic ridership levels. But we might be helping with our new Alameda free bus pass pilot for seniors and people, people with disabilities. It's being done through our paratransit program. And by the end of the year, they were averaging 5,900 trips per month. And uh, WIDA, the ferry, ridership on Alameda oops, lines is increased over 100% uh, last year, led by Seaplane Lagoon. And system-wide, they're now at 65% pre-pandemic on weekdays and 100% on weekends. The Alameda CTC figured out Alameda County vehicle miles traveled and found that it's actually higher now, or as of the year 2022 compared to 2019, 7% higher, but vehicle delay is still 53% lower. Um, they didn't hazard a theory as to why, but it would make sense. People are traveling in a more spread out manner and less in uh, just rush hour periods. Our car share partners, we have two that we work, that we have, you know, partnerships with in Alameda and they saw a big increase this last year, 45 to 60% increase compared to the year prior, which they had seen a dip. And then motor vehicle registration in general is down, as Danielle mentioned. We kept busy on outreach last year, um, organizing 14 public events ourselves, sending 54 electronic mailings, additional USPS mailings, and our open rate is good on those electronic mailings, by the way. 78 pre presentations, at least, uh, we maintain 25 web pages, and that's all with eight FTE positions, a little over eight um, last year. And then, but one of our transportation engineer positions was open despite a recruitment effort. Um, transportation engineering is understaffed regionally and possibly across the nation. So that's that concludes my facts about last year. I'm gonna go into status reports as you know, um, last year, the city council adopted the active transportation plan and the street classifications update. And this year we are working on the ADA trans transition plan 
and the tsunami evacuation planning, and as well as transportation metrics planning. Public transit, we, the paratransit program transitioned away from the less utilized Alameda Loop shuttle last year to the new AC Transit Bus Pass program that I mentioned, as well as the Uber Lyft concierge program. Um, and AC Transit extended their Line 98, 78 pilot kindly. Um, this year, we are working on locating new bus stop benches. AC Transit is working on their service recovery planning. We would like to have conversations with AC Transit and Alameda TMA on expanding Line 96. Um, we are planning water shuttle for the estuary, hopefully for implementing in 2022, excuse me, 24. And WIDA has let us know that uh, with their ferry route terminal refurbishment plan, they expect to be closing service at the Main Street terminal for a while at the end of the year. We, in terms of programs, continue to offer bicycle safety education to children, families, and adults. We developed a rapid response after fatal crashes proposal that you all reviewed in December and did and will do again this year, Vision Zero training to officers in the police department. And this year we'll also do trails inventory and maintenance plan. Uh, shout out to, to trails in um, uh, Harbor Bay, Bay Farm, excuse me. <laughs> um, we do plan to do a Vision Zero public safety campaign and begin evaluating the crossing guard program for where we might put crossing guards. Parking management, we were busy last year doing, uh, launching the new parking enforcement service, which is in public works instead of police, putting out new web pages, a lot of new information online, and creating the ferry terminal parking pricing strategy that you endorsed late last year. And this year we plan to begin paid parking at the Seaplane Lagoon and Harbor Bay Ferry Terminals make our first incremental meter rate adjustment based on occupancy, uh, parking occupancy demand, and adding new painted curb and ADA zones in our, on Park and Webster. In terms of capital projects, last year we worked, we did outreach and draft concepts for Lincoln Marshall Pacific, Clement Tilden, McCartney Island. City Council approved a concept for Grand Street and we worked on design and construction drawings for Central Avenue, Clement Avenue, and signal upgrades on the Cross Alameda Trail from Constitution to Maine. And we also completed construction on tiers one and two of the high entry corridor on 11 corridors for the pavement management and safety improvements project. A part of that is what you're seeing on this slide, that's shoreline and south shore. Um, so now with that pavement management um, restriping, it is, has a, a number of safety improvements for pedestrian crossing that intersection. And Caltrans implemented their uh, crosswalk improvements, including flashing beacons at six locations. The Del Monte section of the Clement extension and Cross Alameda Trail is open. And we also began construction at Alameda Point on the Adaptive Reuse Project and Caltrans started their work on Ensenal. And here is what we have planned for this year, our capital work plan. Um, lines in blue are the items in planning and design phases. 
So we will seek city council approval of final concepts and begin design on the Lincoln Marshall Pacific corridor project and the Clement Avenue extension Tilden Way. Um, and then we will also do a project, complete the project initiation document for the Oakland Alameda bicycle and pedestrian bridge and develop neighborhood or begin at least developing neighborhood greenway guidelines and start that transition. Um, we will work on design for the next set of pavement management and safety improvements. Those are on the east end this year. We do it by section of the city. So that's why you see so many lines, um, blue lines on the east end. And um, we do plan to begin construction on Central, on that's from Sherman to Maine, on Clement from Grand to Broadway. These are big, exciting projects, the two-way cycle tracks and part of them, our first roundabouts. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll construct the signal improvements along the Cross Alameda Trail and finish design and expect to begin construction on the grand project. And, and Sonal expects, I believe, to, to finish their resurfacing and uh, reconfiguring of Ensenal. And we just keep going. 17 grant proposals submitted, 5.9 million awarded for six projects as of January, 2023, with $18 million still under consideration for four projects. And then our 2023 priorities for grant proposals are Priorities are set based on our general plan goals. And we are doing a bit of a roadshow with these uh, reports. So we expect to get to the city council by March 21st with by then a re reports that have been hopefully um, formatted by a graphic designer. So they should look nice and we'll have pictures and, um, and we'll be seeking city council acceptance at that point. And for tonight, we do recommend that the Transportation Commission endorse the CARP and the Transportation 2022 Annual Reports and 2023 Work Plans. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for keeping that presentation really tight and covering all of the pieces. I'm always stunned when I see that capital program in one island has just an amazing amount of work and an amazing amount of um, competitive funding uh, for our city. So, um, all right, uh, I'm going to take public comment first. And then if there are questions or discussions by the commissioners, we'll do that and then move into a motion. Are there any hands raised? This is an item for action tonight by the board to endorse both of the annual report on transportation as well as the climate action resiliency plan. Um, so I see one hand up. We could take our first speaker, please. First speaker will be Demstrello. Good evening. Good evening. Um, kind of against the rebates to e-bikes. E-bikes are a contributing source of major traffic injuries, deaths in the future. They are dangerous in the bike paths and you're encouraging it to go to more individuals against that. Huh? Uh, your severe, severe injury numbers are up in 2022, might be related to your recent changes. You might be held, uh, you can't 
can't be held blameless in this. Sounds as if your safety plans are not working. Huh? What is your plan to prevent individual deaths by zero and down to in 2035? There's going to be heart attacks happening. Makes no sense. People can slip and die, you know, anytime. Huh? Um, it, it, it just, um, as a public citizen, I, I hate to see terminology, we are going to solve the problem. No, you're going to, you know, make safety changes and stuff, and that's fine. But don't condescend to the general public who pays the taxes and wants plans that sound reasonable, huh? I'm also against your plan to increase parking meter rates upon space availability at the ferry lots. It just will discourage public from going to your ferry lots and you're encouraging the drivers to drive to San Francisco rather than use your ferry services. It sounds like a bad plan to begin with. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. I thought I saw a hand raise, but I don't see it now. Oh, there I it is. I thought I saw John Spangler. There, yeah, he, he's there. Good evening. Good evening. Um, I could not disagree more strongly with the previous speaker. Uh, I think this is a great plan, and the Vision Zero is going to work because we can make the infrastructure safer to prevent human error from contributing to deaths of people like Wilma Chan. <clears throat> May she rest in peace. Um, as a, a charter member of the Transportation Commission 21 years ago, <clears throat> many of the things, <clears throat> pardon me, many of the things that you are being asked to approve tonight were gleams in our eyes. I want you to know, and I am thrilled to see this kind of project process, project, sorry, progress, and hope that you will all stay the course. And I commend the staff for putting this together. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Thank you. I see no other hands raised. Is that correct? No one else is raising their hand at the time. Okay. Turn it over to commissioners. I have uh, Commissioner Susan Thera, please go ahead. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, can the staff bring up the page on um, 2023 capital work plan? And as they are pulling it up, I want to commend, um, um, you know, like um, everyone else said, uh, it's very comprehensive. It's a lot of work going on in all areas. So I want to commend the staff and thank everyone that's involved in making progress on these. Uh, my comment is, uh, I mean, I can't see anything in Bayform side. And it's not that all of the infrastructure on Bayform is uh, in Bayform is really in um, state of good repair per se. And especially during active transportation plan, the first round of presentation I mentioned about the, the bike path connecting to the bridge and how bad it is. And uh, that's within the city property, actually. So um, I'm just curious where we are, or, or what's planned for Bay Farm. And I can't quite see, uh, there are two uh, diag 
hexagonal um, shapes or diamond shapes I'm seeing, but uh, so can staff explain what's in there or what's planned for um, Bayform area? Would uh, Robert or one of the other staff members want to talk to speak to this? As someone someone coming in, as uh, you know, um, I want to remind uh, or also inform. I, I just looked up the population census tracts just to see how you know uh, what's the population share, and there is about for Alameda fifteen percent of population reside in Bay Farm. Just so you know. Um, this is Rochelle. I can <clears throat> start addressing some of that, and others could chime in if that's okay. Yes, please go ahead. Okay, great. Um, so yeah, a good evening chair and commissioners. Um, I'm Rochelle Wheeler, uh, Senior Transportation Coordinator. And um, uh, yes, um, it's quite obvious, um, Commissioner Sudantera, that there's not much um, happening this year for capital um, projects on Bay Farm in terms of kind of, um, uh, you know, projects that have been set with their boundaries. But I will say that uh, we know that a high priority for Bay Farm is um, trails maintenance. And that is something that both the park district, which maintains some of those trails and the city public works department, we are working on um, the park department, uh, parks department is working on um, doing a section of trail improvement um, close to the Trans Court area and the Bay Farm Bridge um, and improving the trail in that area um, this year. Um, they're designing that now and we were just talking about design standards for that. And then we're also doing a trails inventory and um, setting up regular funding and we were talking about funding sources for trails that did come out as a high priority from the active transportation plan i mean we knew that also going into it and it consistently was high priority so i will say that in terms of um improvements planned for this year that is not showing up on the map but is very much in our work program and um and moving forward um i can speak to the the projects that you see there. One is the Earhart um, Elementary School is implementing improvements from the um, school's um, uh, safety um, site, site assessment that was done by the countywide um, Safe Routes to Schools program. So um, that is to implement those proposed improvements. And then the intersection of um, Island and McCartney is to um, take the um, roundabout that had been proposed there to council to just approve the concept design there. And then the, and that had already come through the transportation commission. And then finally, um, along Doolittle, that is um, the Caltrans um, project to do resurfacing there. And we're looking for them to do some additional improvements to address some flooding and um, also address the bike lanes there. Thank you, Rochelle. Thank you. I just want to remind that, you know, at least the connection needs to be better um, to get to the main main line and part. So thank you. Right. Um Robert, did you want to add on to that? Same topic? Uh, yes. Thanks, Chair Souls. Um 
if I may. Um, uh, I just wanted to mention, um, Lisa, Lisa talked about our, our zones for, for resurfacing. And so the, the next zone that we'll be planning for is the Bay Farm Island and then the, and then, um, the main island east of High Street. So that'll be coming up um, um, as the next project after, after we do the east end of uh, Alameda. So when we come back next year, we'll be, you'll see a map with a, <laughs> a lot of streets for resurfacing and, and we're actually doing um, pavement repair on uh, McCartney between Augenbaugh and, and Fontana uh, this week, in fact. And then uh, one other thing I wanted to mention is just the adaptation work that Danielle talked about. Uh, one, of the, one of the major projects is the um, Veterans Court area and the, the Northern shoreline of Bay Farm Island. So that's um, another thing that staff will be working on this year too. Thank you. And thanks for the comment. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, okay. Uh, Commissioner Whitesey, I believe you are next. Thank you, Chair Souls. Uh, one really parenthetical comment. 15% uh, of the population is on Bay Farm and two of the 11 plan and design projects are on Bay Farm and two of the 10 that are beginning uh, planning are on, which is about 15%. So if we're doing it by population, actually we're right on track. So great, good for us. Um, I wanted to add a couple of questions about the presentation. Uh, I was curious why EVs, why the EV spots that are gonna be at the seaplane parking were not on the map of city owned or city controlled or future EV charger sites. I didn't see any of those in there. So we're actually maybe doing a little bit better than we thought. Um, second question, and then I have four total, but second question is, um, I read briefly that the estuary water shuttle sounds like is going to be ideally funded and starting in 2024, but there was also sort of a something, a, a reference to maybe something piloting in 2023 this summer. And the reason I bring it up is because I would love this to be successful. Um, I worry a little bit that the way it's currently outlined, it looks like a bit of a private shuttle for people that live in Alameda Landing and nearby Alameda Landing. It's, it's kind of hard to get there. There's not a lot of parking unless you want to park at Target. The bike infrastructure over there is crap. I mean, it, it, we've, we're talking about Fifth Street and Fifth Street is not a great way to get over there, quite frankly. Um, so I would really encourage the city as soon as we know we have funding and we can start thinking about having an estuary shuttle to start thinking about how you're gonna get bikes and pedestrians over there from the, the main trail, from the Sweeney Trail, from the trail in Apozado, because you really gotta figure out, you gotta make this successful for everybody, not just people that bought uh, an Alameda Landing and that shuttle, the, the water shuttle should be a bike shuttle. I mean, we've talked about that a lot here. That should be the way you get bikes off the island, but you have to be able to get bikes from the main biking infrastructure over there. Um, last thing, uh, it's not really a capital project, but I would just kind of want an update on what's going on with West Tower Avenue um, because there's still a giant pile of dirt and there's still businesses that I'm sure are struggling. And I was curious if the city knew what kind of completion timeframe we're coming on given that I think it was supposed to be done by now. So why not EVs, parking lot, estuary water shuttle, get some damn bikes over there and West Tower Avenue, what is going on? Rochelle, do you wanna take any of those? Um, I, if we wanna go in order, maybe Lisa or Danielle will take <laughs> the first one and then I'll go on the estuary shuttle. How about that? Okay, please go ahead. <clears throat> um, thank you, I can, I can start. Um, 
The EVs at Seaplane Lagoon, you're, you are right, they are not on the map. Um, those were just locations that we were looking at additional EV charging. Um, I don't know if it has an update on the charging situation at Seaplane Lagoon. No update, still no planning to have it installed. Um, and then for the um, estuary water shuttle, um, we are attempting to maybe do a pilot of a pilot. Uh, we're, we're kind of a lot of, a lot of balls are in play, yeah. but idea would be to do it this summer for a couple months and just see how it goes. And in planning for that and trying to plan for something in, in early 2024, which we're still, you know, still all pending. Just want people mm -hmm. to know, like, we're still waiting to hear one of those grants we're waiting to hear back on is, is for this project. Um, but um, we are planning to do a send out a survey, which all of you guys will definitely get. We'll send it to our transportation list for how people, if they would use a water shuttle, how they would use it, what would be really important to them in terms of access. Um, would they want to bring their bike on it? How would they get there? Um, so, um, so we will be trying to get collect input on that. And your points are well taken about you know infrastructure needing to be um, in good shape to get there. Thanks. And West Tower, any updates, anyone? Doesn't look like that, but we can have staff follow up with you on the, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Robert. I, I could try to give a quick update. I don't have exact dates, but I, I know the um, construction is, they're actively working um, at the intersection of Pan Am and Tower. And that is really the, the critical intersection that needs to be completed to open up the roadway. Um, because right now it's Saratoga and Tower are closed mm -hmm. and um, that'll allow to reverse the, the traffic control. So then Pan Am and Midway can be closed with Tower and Saratoga opening back up. So they're, um, I know they've done a lot of the concrete work and um, I think they're getting ready to pave soon. So they should be able to change that over in sometime this spring. Great, thank you, Robert. Thank you <clears> to <throat> all the staff for being able to enlighten us on those. Uh, Commissioner Colstrand, you were having your hand up as well. Okay, thank you. Uh, first, I'd also like to commend the staff for the amount of um, work and effort that they've been able to uh, put into transportation issues and what they've accomplished over the last um, several years. I had a couple of questions that I'd like clarification on and then a couple of comments. Um, the first one I noticed under the parking management plan, you're asking for, you're saying that safety and security at the Civic Center garage is going to get some attention this year. And I'd like a little elaboration on what that is, whether it's a safety for individuals or is it car break-ins that are occurring there? Because I, I don't think we've heard about that before, or at least I don't recall. And then the second question had to do with um, the investments at the ferry terminal using RM3 funding, because it just said these investments will be made, but it didn't uh, comment on what the focus of those investments were. So if I could get an answer on that, then, then I'd like to make a few other comments. I can speak about the garage. 
Um, the garage has had a pretty significant problem with kind of minor vandalism, um, especially during the day. And it can get very expensive and make people uncomfortable. Um, it gets expensive because, mostly because they break the, um, the, the elevator. Um, but we have had some some issues at night too with with larger problems with uh, you know one night tires got stolen off of a vehicle one of the people who has a permit to park there um, so we have a variety of ideas in mind about how we can you know address this better I and we're not in a place where I have, we have a plan to present to you all so I don't want to speak to that but we are. Um, working on that for this year. And then the, the other one was the art. Non-compliant, yeah, sorry, but the elevator, right. Okay, thanks, the RM3 funds at the ferry terminal. Do we know about that? Was that, I'm sorry, that was that about um, the Main Street ferry terminal? I'm not sure. That's it was on page 31 of the report. So it just wasn't clear to me where those investments were going. And you can get back to us. I mean, I, you know, uh, I'm sure you'll have a plan for whatever investments you make. I was just curious what it was for. I, was I, I, I mean, I, I'll go ahead, Rochelle. I, I would. I have to. I'm looking up that page. I'm not clear. Let me make a couple of my comments, and if you happen to find it, you can comment on it. Um, first, I wanted to say yay to transportation monitoring me uh, metrics. Uh, I like the fact that you're continuing to focus on those, and I'm hoping we'll get um, more concrete measures as we move forward. And then. Um, one thing I, I, I questioned was um, the investments in public transit, and it talks about um, working with AC Transit to uh, put benches at certain locations. And I would like to put in a plug for maybe a little broader approach to that um, and consider shelters as well as benches, particularly in the commercial areas. I know that might be a little harder to accomplish in, in residential areas, but the, in the commercial areas where we tend to have a lot of people getting on and off transit, I think it would encourage, if we have attractive places to wait and people feel secure and safe waiting for the bus and they're away from the elements, the weather, they're more likely to take transit. So this is an area I feel strongly about that we could really focus some investment to enhance transit ridership for Alamedans. And those, uh, that concludes my comments. Thank you. And I just had one, I was gonna piggyback while you said, I, I was thinking the same thing when mine was lighting. <laughs> Because some of the areas I noticed, especially, and I don't, I, I haven't looked up the numbers, but especially when it starts getting dark out, a lot of, I didn't realize I've talked to more people over this last year that everyone's going back into the offices, but 
that really drives a lot of mode choice when it starts getting dark early and moves people more towards cars and away from bikes and transit, transit mainly because of safety and, and bikes because of safety as well. And I know that it, the same thing, it is hard in front of residents because we don't want to cause you know, light pollution where it's not necessary, but I do think it contributes a lot to the equity issue as well, as far as safety for everybody. Um, so I would um, double on, on that comment. Let's see, commissioner. I could, oh, go ahead, Rachel, did you wanna go I, back to the regional measure three? I think so, yeah. Um, I think it's the that says invest RM3 funding when it becomes available midway through 2023. Is that the item? Um, yeah, I think that that is still being determined what that would be, but that, you know, RM3 coming in is just bringing in finally a lot more money and, um, you know, possibilities to improve some, um, you know, to, to make some investments that maybe we have been put on the back burner for a while. So that really is just a discussion. My understanding is that's a discussion that is just starting. I think there's also other information in the ARM3 um, when it went to the voters, um, which I don't want to say it's Seaplane Lagoon out of turn, but I think there were, there were some projects identified, weren't there? I thought maybe not. Um, so maybe we can follow up on that, Rochelle, as we find out more about that flow of funds finally being um, becoming available. One thing I can add to that one is that uh, it was WIDA staff that provided this the language for that section. And so I can ask them if they have any further information on that and get back to you. That would be great. Thank you. Commissioner Johnson. Oh, Gail, did you have anything on that particular topic before I move on to, go ahead. Just thank you to respond to Commissioner Colstrand about the bus stop benches. We're having a climate fellow, uh, Trey Hanala, uh, do an analysis of all our bus stops. And what, what he has found is that only a third have um, any type of seating. And so our, our biggest push is to just with the limited amount of monies that we have is to get as much seating down as possible, especially because the seating, not all of the bus stops are ADA compliant in the, on the second door. And so once you, you touch a bus stop, we need to make it compliant. So it, it actually triggers, it becomes much more expensive than, than you'd think. And so that's why just on this particular round, this first um, on bus stop benches, the low hanging fruit is just to get 20 benches. So that's, that's all we're doing right now. And I, I totally hear you. There's way, a lot of work to do at bus stops. It's, it's um, going through this analysis. I was just uh, very humbled by how much, how many amenities we could do for them. If, if I could just uh, respond to that, it, my, so as you're going through, maybe you can think about, and we did this maybe 10 years ago when I was still on the planning board, there was a discussion about what kind of shelters, what kind of benches, in other words, what kind of amenities should be put at the bus stops. And uh, at the time there was this, you know, several different, let's put these kind of shelters in and benches in the commercial areas, let's put these in some of the residential areas, let's put these in the station areas. I think 
you really want to think about an overall plan for uniformity throughout the city um, or else it's going to start to look really scattered. And a lot of times when you come back and do shelters, you tend to do a little more upgraded bench. So maybe if you have an idea for what the benches might be overall for the city, whether it's under a shelter or standalone, that would you know, that would be the most efficient way to introduce all these new improvements to the city. Thank you. And Trey will be coming to you in May with uh, the analysis, the full analysis and locations that we've targeted. All right, thank you. Commissioner Johnson, thank you for waiting. Please go ahead. Let me make sure I mute myself. Everyone can hear me. Um, yeah, quick question for the Central Avenue Improvement um, Project. And thanks for staff and you know everyone for all this this great information. And and I, I had a question because on Central Avenue, I would say probably between McKay and Encinal High School, you got Patton Elementary School, you got Encinal High School, the Junior Jester Junior High School, and then you also have pedestrians who are coming from the East Bay Trail that crown that dumps onto Central Avenue. And I think the bike lanes will help because you have a, um, um, a, a, a it's, it's, it's a clogged artery because you have the cyclists who are on the sidewalks because realistic, it's too dangerous to be in the streets if I was a cyclist too. So my question is looking at it in terms, I think the bike lanes will be a great help, but when you get between McKay and say um, Crown, and you have, I guess they're called like driveway aprons, that these sidewalks still seem to be too narrow in order in terms of, I don't even know if they meet, you know, the ADA compliance in terms of, you know, these sidewalks were probably put in in the 30s or the 40s, and they're just too narrow. You know, you have people with strollers with babies and strollers with dogs as well. And in this improvement project, is there, has there been talk about possibly widening these sidewalks? Because it's even with the bike lanes, which is great, the sidewalks are just too narrow in terms of all the foot traffic that's going along, the kids, the walkers, and the wheelchairs and the electric chairs. So I just thought I would ask about if that's something that's been sort of talked about. Thank you. Gail? <laughs> Yes, thank you, Commissioner Johnson. The actual width of the sidewalks, we have not, we are, that is not in the budget to expand those sidewalks. We are going to make them more attractive with street trees and, and amenities in that way. Commissioner Johnson, did you want to have any, did you, did that answer your question? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's, you know, if that's if that's what it is, that's what it is. I mean, it's just in terms of, I, I just don't think the sidewalks are, when you look at terms of, I don't know how many people are walk over there, like near Neptunes, and you're kind of going in that area, the sidewalks are just very near. If someone is coming in a wheelchair or an electric chair or group, you, you literally have to, or a stroller, you literally have to move to the side because there's not enough room for people to pass each other you know i don't think the width is is wide enough but if if maybe that's not in the budget so um thanks Gail. i think it's yeah it's it's a challenge and and of 
we looked at wanting to widen them. And I, I think the issue is that this is just, we're just a giant retrofit project that the city of yeah. Alameda is, and it's a constrained width. And um, yeah. we already are trying to fit in bike yeah. lanes where there wasn't. And so there's just a lot that had to happen. And so it was unfortunate, yet that that is not something that made the cut, unfortunately. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Gail. <laughs> thank you. Commissioner Sithanthira. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, this is just a follow-up uh, clarifying note, I want to say, uh, about the 15% I mentioned. I don't know. I'm trying to impress upon people here, uh, mainly uh, in terms of the lack of redundant connection uh, with the main, main island. And, uh, you know, Bay Farm is very constrained to just one connection. And it is really important for us to look for improved and easy to use active transportation connection. And uh, if anyone goes and stands at the, at the wooden bridge, people can see kids biking with a backpack going to Lincoln and the backpack bouncing on their back, which is heavy. And then they don't sit on the seat because, you know, that's how it's, it's really bumpy. And we don't want, I mean, we have to really facilitate better biking to school, especially. There are two elementary school and then they're getting to Lincoln and we want them to casually bike, take the bike and go. And that's not there. And I'm trying to see all ways to make a point that there are, I know localized improvement is important. And uh, thanks, Robert, for mentioning the McCartney Road um, repaving. Uh, work, uh, but it, connection is really more critical. Connecting to main island is more critical, especially when there is no redundant connect, connection or um, access. So I just want to mention that. Thank you. Yeah, the, the we do have a lot of the waterfront and, and the resiliency improvements, but yeah, the bike paths are uh, rough and it sounded like that some of that is within the parks and rec portion of the responsibility and so um if I could say the same thing about how many people use that to take to the either the park and ride or the ferry and whether or not we have a number a lot of other bike infrastructure that's you know sufficient for what we what we could promote and handle as the pent-up demand from post-pandemic uh commuting kind of comes back go ahead Gail yeah just to reiterate what um Robert Vance was saying about the Bay Farm adaptation project and that that it will be part of that project because we're looking at the shoreline and how to move forward with the shoreline so we're we're taking that bike pedestrian bridge the wooden one in particular into consideration on how to move forward and potentially to raise it and improve it and and so it 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 is we're, even though we're not calling it out maybe as a transportation project, it's all wrapped into that adaptation because it does involve transportation. Yeah, and the infrastructure bill would consider it a transportation project <laughs> as part of funding and climate adaptation. So I think it's a, I think it has a lot of characteristics that give it a, a lot of potential. <clears throat> and I don't see other hands raised. I just had, I just had a few things. Um, <clears throat> I was going to say the same thing. I'm really happy how we've really started to have some rigor around um, the measurement. 
I was curious about two things. Um, well, I should also say that, uh, and, and kind of to a, a prior speaker's comment that, you know, just seeing all these plans come together, every time I see this annual report, it has so much stuff that has been baked in for so long that has really come along and puzzle pieced all these plans together. And so uh, just for, you know, any of the, the public who may not be aware of all the other plans that are available on the city's website, that these are really um, interdependent and linked really well. And it really shows the staff planning and executing on these projects that have, a lot of them have been around for a really, really long time. And so um, I appreciate not just the work that went into this, but just that we really are doing an amazing amount of, of work on that plan and execute for uh, an island community. The thing about bike share was something that st stood out to me as not um, a whole lot. And we're, we're, we're doing so many bike infrastructure improvements. And I recall how the line bike <laughs> pilot went. And I just think it's unfortunate that we don't have something happening faster for people who may not, you know, have a bike or know which bike they want to buy or, you know, or, or are visiting off of the ferry that we don't have any infrastructure currently with uh, any kind of bike share. And it looks like we're planning kind of the permit process for the next year. And I just feel like that's really slow given the amount of investment that we have been making to our infrastructure. Um, I also noticed that it said specifically uh, dockless bikes. And I feel like there's probably opportunities with existing uh, infrastructure for docked bikes at certain locations. Ones that came to mind were obviously our ferry terminals. I don't see why you would have to have a dockless bike at Main Street or Harbor Bay or City Plain Lagoon. I think those are great opportunities for docked bikes. Um, I think other areas where we've already claimed space for things like parklets, um, where there's usually, you know, whenever we have to take spaces for docked bicycles like we did in San Francisco, that that space is already, you know, being used. And as we go through that program, if there's uh, areas of opportunity for Parker Webster to have dock bikes. I think those are other places that we're we're really missing opportunities by relying on dockless bikes and scooters. So I'd really like someone to look at that as we go into bike share planning. Um, I also have concerns about what one of the other public speakers said about electric bikes that they can go up to 28, 30 miles an hour. Our speed limit's 25 and uh, they can be dangerous, especially for um people that aren't very graceful like myself. And so having the softer pedal assist ones are <laughs> a little bit more, um, we're flat island. We don't have a lot of inclines and, and rough areas to get through. So I'm sure there's a consultant out there who knows a lot about this or a staff member that we may be hiring in the active transportation space who knows how to find the right fit for Alameda. But just looking at the permit program alone, I hope there's more planning going on with that. Um, I have one other thing that's related to parking. Gail, did you have a, <laughs> did you want to enlighten uh, me on any of that item? You have your hand up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought I was going to get all these great answers. That's okay, though. Um, the other thing was related to um, parking and the parking management plan. Um, it really related a lot to ferries 
um, and some of the paid parking, the meters. But as part of the bigger curb management plan, I just wanna make sure that we have some sort of connection drawn between the car share going up and uh, it also it also occurred to me on some of the other projects that we have with road diets and taking some of those parking spaces, which is fine, but we also have to be managing the curb that is available for things like delivery vehicles, because I'm still seeing a lot of those double parked. And so uh, not just parking, but the bigger picture of curb management and being really deliberate to make sure that we're retaining spots for our people with disabilities and that we're making some of those functional, even if they have to be time sensitive during, you know, rush hour or delivery times. I just think thinking about curb management just in the way of parking, I think is short-sighted if we're really going to try and reduce the vehicle miles traveled on the island. Commissioner Colstrand, did you have something to add? Yeah, we always agree on a lot of things. And I just wanted to, uh, tack on to the idea because I, I didn't even uh, think about the um, bike share when I was reading this, but I, I, I know with the way the ferry, term, uh, ferry schedules are structured right now at Main Street and um, Seaplane Lagoon, I've on more than one occasion taken the ferry out from Seaplane Lagoon and then come back to Main Street and then had to walk across that way. So having a, a way to get between those two, like a, uh, being able to use a shared bike would be perfect. Um, so I really think that um, we should be looking more closely at that. Maybe we can have some more conversations about that as we go into the next year of the, the planning phase to make sure that we're kind of um, doing the smart stuff as we go into this permit, the permit program that was listed in there. Um, I can just speak yeah. a little bit to that if you'd like. So that that is, um, you're right, it is slightly lower priority than some of the other projects, but it is something that is on our work plan for this year. Um, and um, there's also kind of it's, the region is ramping up to kind of reevaluate how bike share is being done around the whole region. And, you know, there's a lot of investment in the large cities and the bike share program, the docked bike share program that they all get. And that's all paid for through advertising mostly. Um, but um, there's not so much happening in other cities. And so that will be um, looking at that and that that's kind of one of the areas they'll be looking at. So I think that could eventually also help Alameda, but also we would want to do something before then, and particularly linking up um, to Oakland as well. Okay. Um, the last point was just on, and this is something that I've brought up before, and I and I apologize if I'm missing it, but I thought that, you know, when I look at all this data that we get. I still don't see where we're doing any specific bike counts. Are we doing any bike counts on before or after on any of our road diets? Yes. Either mobile or permanent? Okay. Yeah. So that's where, something that we will be 
We have a lot of um, performance measures in the ATP, and because that was just adopted in late December, we're going to report on that in the next year. But we will have data to look back at too. It won't, you know, we won't, we also have there's some counts that are done throughout locations by Alameda CTC every two years that we'll be able to report on at specific locations. We have an auto, one automated counter, and then we do do have um, counts for before and after on major projects. And are those being done as specific studies with data collection or are we actually, I mean, I know that there's mobile and permanent counters that are available on the market. Are those being baked into our infrastructure plans for these? Because I feel like for the amount of some of the project budgets, having mm -hmm. that as part of it to be able to monitor where we're seeing better bike improvements that it, it, it gets us away from just the um, I would shift modes or I did shift modes and more of that qualitative analysis to really look at the quantitative analysis and see which ones are getting a lot of use, um, especially different seasons and, and maybe help guide us for further improvements going forward. So can you tell me if there, if is that really an, we rely on Alameda County to do ad hoc collection or are we baking in something that monitors those kinds of KPIs as part of the project? Um, we, I mean, for the Cross Alameda Trail, that's where we have an automated counter. So that was opened, turned on the day that the trail opened. So that one was put in. I'm not sure if there are on the other projects that we're implementing. Maybe Gil can speak to that. No, we're not. And and just to step back is that's what was is in this work plan is to do a multimodal counts and and looking at it from a multimodal perspective. So it, in my head, that that's just I, I didn't actually want it to be just one mode. I um we had always talked about let's look at what the best practices are because there's all this new technologies on how to count. Um, vehicles and people walking and bicycling. And so um, it's just, it it ends up being um, a bigger endeavor because we want to do a comprehensive and holistic approach. And so that that's what is in our work plan with when we're talking about metrics. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I would agree. I mean, we have a lot of other opportunities to collect vehicle modes to especially a lot of the smart city stuff and other things that we get data points all over the island, but bike and pet, I feel like actually having the infrastructure to collect the data, regardless of where it goes, I don't think it's an, it's a tall ask to um, continue incorporating those in, but I agree with you, Gail, as far as looking at it from a multimodal, because if you don't do that, you don't really know where the shift is actually occurring. Everything stays in its silo. And that's how it is in our plans too. We have the active transportation plan. So I'm hoping everything gets kind of pulled together as we go forward in the in the annual report and future work plans. So thank you for, for explaining the, the details on that. All right, are there any other comments? Uh, I have two public speakers that didn't speak previously, uh, so I suppose I should, let, let's go ahead and welcome public comment one more time. I apologize for going back, but um, we did have a lot of discussion there. So if we could open up to public comment and then I'll entertain any motions or further discussion by the commissioners. 
All right, uh, speaker will be Jeff Knopf. Welcome. Can you hear me? Yes, please go ahead. Yeah, this is regarding the, um, I came in at seven o'clock, so I hope this is still appropriate, the, the Lincoln uh, Marshall Corridor. Nope, that's on the agenda item next. We're on the previous ah. one on 6A, so please sit tight and we'll be back on that Very one. Very good, thank you. And Stephen Jones, please uh, keep your hand raised or, re or if you're um, commenting, this is on the annual transportation report and uh, climate resiliency plan. Um, am I coming through okay? Yes, go ahead. Okay, uh, first, thank you to the commission for serving as a citizen and thank you to the four members of city staff who were there this evening. Um, you mentioned earlier, every time the improvement at McCartney and Island comes up, um, I would like to make a comment. I know it's going to council for just concept this year, but I have lived, as I've said before, uh, a block and a half from that intersection for 35 years now. And it is a, an extremely safe intersection. I believe any improvement like a roundabout will make it, I won't say far more unsafe, but I will say more unsafe because according to the city's own statistics, there has been two injury accidents at that intersection in the last 11 years. So that's one for every five and a half years, an injury accident. That's a heavily traveled intersection. I drive through it several times a day and I walk through it once a day on my daily walk. What I do think works there and I think would work very well is the same thing that's at um, Island and Garden and McCartney and Vertimar where you push the button and it lights the intersection. I have found those things to be extremely effective. Cars, rarely do I see, do I press that and have a car go in front of me. It's very, very rare. So once again, that intersection and I've invited any of the commissioners or any city staff uh, Gail has my email address. I would be happy to meet with you anytime to spend a half hour there at any of the either morning or the afternoon commutes to show you and demonstrate just how safe that intersection is. The other thing I'd like to comment on is the, the trail that uh, one of the commissioners talked about earlier on Bay Farm Island, the improvement to the trail, because I walk that trail every day that goes from Bay Farm Island Bridge behind the tennis courts down. That trail definitely needs some attention. It's very bumpy and uh, I won't say it's dangerous because I don't think it's dangerous, but it definitely could use some improvements. Once again, I appreciate you all serving. Thank you. All right, that wraps up the hands that I can see. So we'll close the public comment. All right, we'll close the public comment. Uh, I'll entertain a motion to, and this is to endorse the annual report on the transportation, on transportation and the annual report on the climate action and resiliency plan. Commissioner Colstrand. So moved. Do I have a second? Seconded. Commissioner Whitesey, thank you. And Lisa, we can take call. Commissioner Johnson. Aye. Commissioner Colstrand. Aye. Commissioner Noxigal. Aye. Chair Souls. Aye. Commissioner Susan Thera. Aye. Commissioner Whitesey. Aye. And Vice Chair Ewan.
Aye. All right, motion passes unanimously. Thank you for your time on that. Now we will move on to uh, agenda item 6B. This is the recommendation to endorse the design concept for the Lincoln Avenue Marshall Way Pacific Avenue Corridor Improvement Project. I'm going to turn it over to staff to give us a presentation. Thank you, Chair Salt. And thank you for, for our consultants sticking around through our first agenda item and, and staying with us tonight. <laughs> Thank you, Chair Souls. I'll, I'll just introduce the consultants. Um, I'm Gail Payne, Senior Transportation Coordinator and Project Manager for this project. We are very fortunate to have David Preci and Bree Adams as our consultants from Preci Transportation Consultants. And we've worked really well with them for years now. And so we're, we're just thrilled to, to have them keep wanting to work with us. And I also want to thank community members and staff all last year working on the two rounds of outreach. And we had a stakeholder group that met three times. And we also mailed out two different letters to adjacent properties. The second one was mailed out to 6,000 uh, adjacent properties. So 6,000 letters. And the reason why so many is, is because it's three a mile corridor. And so we just wanted to be prudent and make sure everyone knew. And just as a reminder, we did meet with you all back in May to talk over existing conditions and our preliminary thoughts, which really remain the same as a basically a road diet and roundabouts with bikeways. And we did make some uh, refinements. And also we have the detailed concepts uh, shown on on the staff report and on also on the web page and just also as a reminder after we met you in may we did submit a grant for the western part of this corridor between pacific and then st charles we did not get the grant for the first round for the second round of alameda ctc's process we will hear if we were successful in may we did rank pretty high as like we were like just like just a, just short of, of not getting it. So we're hopeful. And with that, I will pass it over to Mr. David Parisi. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Gail. Good evening, commissioners. Great to see you all again. We um, have a, um, a pretty brief presentation tonight. We're going to try to get through it pretty quick. I'm joined tonight by uh, Bree Adams, an engineer uh, with our firm who's been leading a lot of the design. But I'm going to walk right through it. Let's get going, Bree. Um, the agenda tonight is to talk about some of the background. We're gonna do that very briefly, some of the community input we've heard to date. And then as Gail mentioned, uh, really a phased approach to implementing improvements along this three mile corridor. And of course, we want to then hear from you and um, the public about what they think. And uh, we'll talk about next steps. Next slide. The background on the corridor, we, we covered this uh, last May, uh, really interesting uh, corridor. A lot of history here um, that really influences the alignment and some of the amenities along the street transcontinental railroad passed through lincoln avenue in the late 18 uh, 1800s uh, there's a bench landmark at webster street street cars ran um, up until 1941 cable cars west alameda and the uh, willow Glen electric streetcar ran from 1920 to 1930 down lincoln street and there's some remnants of, of this and it's very interesting to to see that next slide through this project, we are um, trying to achieve a number of goals. 
everything from uh, improving safety by prioritizing a vision zero elements. And we'll talk a lot about safety tonight, as well as improving mobility for the multiple users along and across the corridor, improving the pavement, looking at ways to uh, provide landscaping and uh, pervious surfaces, also uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions by improving traffic flow and promoting active transportation, of course, complying with the city's plans and policies. Last time we met, we were on that um, polygon at the very far left where we we're looking at existing uh, conditions, but through the um, uh, summer and fall, uh, we spent a lot of time looking at different alternatives, refining some of the concepts and starting to design some immediate safety actions that we're gonna be talking about tonight. Uh, later, as Gail mentioned, once uh, some grant funding and other uh, funds can be uh, acquired, construction can start. And the, the beauty about this project is a lot of it could be done in phases or staged depending on the color of money and when um, funding arrives. Next slide, please. It's a three mile corridor. It has a number of uh, traffic signals along the, the four lane street. Some areas are five lanes. Uh, you can see from this map here, um, there are some marked crosswalks, but there's locations where there's not crosswalks at all. Um, it's a very long, long corridor. Next slide. A lot of pedestrians use the corridor. This is just a map that shows where some of the bus ridership is by um, daily riders. Uh, the buses do travel along the west part of the corridor, but on the east side or mid to the east, most of the bus travel is along Santa Clara and Buena uh, Vista. However, bus users are still crossing the street, and we know, uh, not regardless, folks are just walking up and down the street. Uh, anyway, it's a lot of pedestrians, uh, a lot of vulnerable users walking along and across Lincoln Avenue corridor. And unfortunately, there's been a lot of reported crashes over a five-year period. About over 250 crashes have been reported during that time. Uh, 17 involve pedestrians, 11 involve cyclists, really the most vulnerable users who are uh, suffering from the greatest uh, severe types of injuries and fatalities. Uh, the hotspots for bike and pedestrian crashes are at a few locations, Webster and Park Street, and, if, and um, kind of um, throughout the entire corridor, you can see five or six different hotspots overall for overall crashes that we've uh, taken a look at. We also measured traffic uh, pre-pandemic. We've been monitoring the traffic levels at four locations um, since that time. And uh, we're seeing that from a, on a daily basis, the traffic is pretty, pretty low for a four or five lane roadway. Actually, these two graphs show on the left side, traffic in the westbound direction, and on the right side, traffic in the eastbound direction by the hour um, along the corridor. And long story short, the traffic, uh, the roadway is uh, carrying about one third, um, one quarter, one third of the traffic it, it could carry based on the capacity that it currently has. So there's a lot of reserve capacity as a four lane street. And that's part of the reason we're looking at and proposing a road diet with one lane in each direction. Next slide. There has been a lot of uh, community input as Gail mentioned previously, um, there has been, um, several online surveys, workshops in April and October of last year, in-person open house at the same time. Um, we've 
last May, as Gail mentioned, we also came to you to talk to, uh, about some of the initial ideas that we're going to be showing you tonight. And there's been some surveys that have been conducted uh, by over 345 respondents, and those are shown on the um, pie charts on this graphic. And you can see, if you just look real quick on the upper one, safety, 65% of those that responded felt that the quarter, uh, they're dissatisfied or very dissatisfied with the safety levels. And then from an operation standpoint, um, about 50% of folks are either dissatisfied or are very dissatisfied. Next slide. And with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Bree, who's going to walk through some of the, the quarter concepts that we're presenting tonight. Thank you, David. Um, so as David mentioned, the great thing about this project is that is its phasability. Um, we have two main phases that we're going to be focusing on tonight. The first being immediate safety actions uh, down at the Lincoln and Walnut intersection, and then our ultimate corridor vision. Dive into this. So I'm going to pause here on this map, um, take our time and go through it. But again, this project is focused on safety enhancements along the entire corridor. Um, as mentioned, this is a high entry corridor, a lot of collisions, a lot of high speeds, uh, not many existing left turn lanes or pockets. There are wide street widths and a lack of high visibility crosswalks, which give us great opportunities. Um, and so the opportunities and the improvements that we're looking at, if you first take a look at the green line, that is where we want to have a road diet, a roadway lane relocation. Um, and we know that road diets allow for better visibility of pedestrians waiting and attempting to cross the street. They allow for shorter crossing distances. They reduce rear end side swipes and left turn collisions by 19 and up to 47%. Um, they improve speed compliance, uh, which also reduces uh, severe collisions. Uh, we're also proposing up to three roundabouts, including the roundabout, a part of the Central Avenue project, which will improve safety by reducing severe crashes and reducing speeds. With the road diet, and depending on the location, there's room for regular bike lanes, buffered bikeways, and protected bikeways. Uh, more pedestrian improvements, uh, is what we're also looking at, um, and that would be, be possible through the lane reallocation. Um, it would reduce the crossing links and allow us to provide pet refuge median islands and bull belts. And as you can see here, we're proposing six flashing beacons on the corridor, um, along with other pedestrian safety improvements. And you'll notice three of the flashing beacons at St. Charles, uh, 9th Street, and Broadway have an asterisk next, next to them. Um, these are potential hawk locations, and so that could better help facilitate the neighborhood greenway crossings um, and give right of way to pedestrians and bikes when trying to cross. And as well, uh, neighborhood green ray treatments, uh, they're still being finalized. So when they are, that's something we're going to uh, add to our project. And of course, in these areas where we are adding flashing beacons, there's opportunities to add more green infrastructure. Uh, now I want to turn your attention to this highlighted red area um, where we're looking at our immediate safety action um, for the Lincoln and Walnut Street intersection. We know that there have been a lot of crashes and it's an overall important route for all modes, people walking, people driving. Um, our team did a very wide analysis of this intersection and we found that some of the key issues and um, existing conditions are poor visibility for people traveling on Walnut, northbound and southbound. And that poor visibility is due to the asymmetrical alignment. And by that, I mean the roadway is shifted in this area. Um, 
the eastbound speeds through this intersection we found were higher uh, than the westbound uh, speeds. And that's because there's a merge right before you approach this intersection. So our goal is to take immediate action here. And I'm gonna go one slide so we can see what that immediate action will look like. Um, so we are gonna be looking at updating some of the signage, getting those stop signs closer to the intersection, adding some colorized pave pavement to the existing bulb outs, extending the red curb paint to help with visibility on Walnut Street and on Lincoln, and then adding some flashing beacons, both on the sidewalks, but also in the street on the south side uh, to help with visibility for pedestrians. I'm gonna keep on moving here. Um, now we're gonna take a look at the west end of the corridor, specifically Pacific Ave. We have coordinated very closely with the Central Avenue team um, to create a seamless transition from the roundabout into our project on Pacific. Uh, we're gonna be tying in near 2nd Street and um, as a part of the Central Avenue uh, roundabout. It's going to be a single lane roundabout that will transition into our road diet configuration, one lane in each direction, along with buffered bike lanes uh, that are being proposed and other safety improvements. Continuing uh, looking at Pacific Avenue with the road diet and lane configuration, we're proposing quite a few school area enhancements. Uh, we've worked very closely with staff at the Academy of Alameda and had many focus groups with them um, just to get any feedback and to understand the existing conditions in the area and what's going on. Um, our proposed improvements include reducing a through lane in each direction, adding left turn lanes out there to help improve safety and traffic calm adding some green infrastructure like trees, um, multimodal improvements include enhanced bus stops, additional pedestrian crossings, and uh, protected bikeways. And as well, uh, we're proposing a permeable cul-de-sac accessible to emergency vehicles and cyclists. So emergency vehicles are still going to be able to make the movements that they need to make. Taking a step back, uh, thinking about the entire uh, corridor, there are many pedestrian enhancements that we're proposing. So higher visibility crosswalks, flashing beacons at the six intersections that I mentioned earlier, and then potential for the three hawks, uh, pedestrian refuge islands with potential to add green infrastructure like trees, bulb outs, and there's potential for bulb outs to be raised or paint um, as well, landscape and those bulb out areas if they are raised concrete. There will be daylighting uh, on the entire corridor, as well as the side streets that are connecting to the corridor. And daylighting includes adding red curb paint and sometimes some raised features to enforce that better visibility area closer to the intersection or at key locations. And you can see an example uh, in this picture here on the right. And as well, we're going to be looking at additional street lightings uh, near the new and the existing crosswalks to make sure visibility for pets is prioritized. So next, I'm gonna take us through a few cross sections, um, starting here on Pacific Avenue, which this location is between Main Street and the Academy of Alameda, and this is kind of the general area, and we're always gonna be looking east. So uh, this area of Pacific is mostly single family, uh, multifamily residential housing. It's a very wide street ranging from 74 to 81 feet, um, and but this, gives us a lot of room, a lot of room for uh, improvements. 
and this is our, our proposed cross-section uh, for Pacific Avenue. Uh, the improvements include the road diet configuration, which offers all the safety benefits I mentioned earlier, buffered bike lanes, median islands with potential for green infrastructure like trees you're seeing there today. Not today, excuse me, in this image. Um, improvements not seen in this cross-section, but are shown on our preliminary concepts, which I think you may have, or you can download from uh, the project website. Our pedestrian crossing enhancements, so bulb outs, some painted, some raised, uh, daylighting, and bus stop enhancements like bus islands. I'm gonna keep moving through the corridor here. Uh, this is showing existing conditions on Marshall Way. Uh, Marshall Way connects Pacific Avenue near Academy of Alameda, and then Lincoln Avenue at Fifth Street. So Marshall Way is a section that um, actually has very few fronting driveways, only four driveway breaks on Marshall Way. And here is our proposed improvement for Marshall Way. So this would tie into the enhancements at the Academy of Alameda and the roundabout at Fifth Street. So the improvements, again, start with reducing a travel lane in each direction, allowing for parking protected bikeways in both directions. And since there are very few driveways fronting the street, parking protected would cause limited parking loss and as well more safety for cyclists. And that's something that we want near a school. Um, there's just the right amount of street width here. As well, you'll notice the center median with green infrastructure. And again, since there's only four driveway breaks, we can use the center of the roadway for further beautification and traffic calming measures since that space doesn't need to be used by vehicles. So continuing down to Lincoln, um, Lincoln is, it stretches from Fifth Street all the way down to Broadway. And so there's very different cross sections and we're gonna be going through four cross sections that look at Lincoln. Um, the Western portion, of Lincoln is wider and as the further you go to the east the more narrower uh, the roadway gets. So here we're looking at Lincoln west of Morton Street and Morton is right uh, to the east of Sherman Street. So this section of Lincoln spans a little more than one mile and has a roadway width of 68 to 75 feet. The land uses include single-family, multi-family residential, and many, many commercial areas. Um, and so therefore, we know that there's going to be a very high concentration of driveways. And as well, there's uh, some bus stops west of Webster Street. Our proposed uh, improvements on Lincoln west of Morton Street include a road diet, multimodal improvements such as buffered bike lanes and pet safety improvements. Um, something I wanna point out here is that you'll notice in this cross section that the two-way left turn lane resulting from the road diet allows for more protected left turns. So whether someone is making a left turn at an intersection or just in a residential or commercial driveway, they're not having to make that left turn lane from a existing through lane today. Um, and that will be a safer movement because it will reduce rear end crashes. It reduces the backup of traffic and allows vehicles to make a more safe left turn when safe. This next cross section looks at Lincoln Avenue from Morton Street to Park Street. Uh, so this area is about 1.3 mile long stretch and it has a much narrower roadway width with about 55 feet. The land use is mostly residential, but there's still definitely some commercial areas and we know it contains a heavy concentration of driveways. Uh, there's on-street parking and high demand on both sides of the street. 
since we don't have as much roadway width as the other sections of the corridor, we think we found a pretty good balanced approach for the improvements. The lane reallocation with dedicated bike lanes in each direction, maintaining street parking while, while daylighting uh, to provide more intersection safety for all modes. And for those areas that don't have heavily concentrated driveways, we are again looking at adding median islands uh, with potential trees and other green infrastructure. You'll notice that this area uh, is the near the police department and the Alameda Free Library. Um, and you'll notice that today there's actually already a two-way left turn lane. So a number of years ago, there was a reconfiguration of the roadway that made it more um, that made it asymmetrical. And so other way, other excuse me. In other words, um, you can see that with the angled parking, the center line is not in the center of the street. The roadway slightly shifted. So uh, this area is mostly commercial land use and some single family and multifamily housing, um, both parallel and angled parking are in high demand today. The proposed improvements would remove that angled parking, making a more symmetrical roadway. We're not removing any travel lanes, just proposing to reorient the parking lane in front of the police department and library, which would reduce some of the parking supply in the area. Um, we thought a lot about the trade-offs in this area, and we also had some focus group meetings with the police department and the library staff, and we wanted to find the best travel operations for all modes, um, for instance, having the angled parking out there and getting bikeways through um, and traffic calming would stop us from allowing left turns at Oak Street or would make that more difficult. Um, we're also looking at bikeway types and the parking take in this area. Our last cross section for the evening looks at two blocks of Lincoln Ave east of Park Street where it becomes a local street, still with mixed uh, commercial use, land use, um, but mostly it's dominated by family, single family residential homes. And Lincoln has its smallest roadway width in the section at about 36 feet with lots of on street parking on both sides. With such a narrow roadway width, we're proposing to narrow the travel lanes and add sharrows to help traffic calm. Um, as much as practical. There isn't much striping for this section of Lincoln, so adding more striping in this area, such as edge lines, for instance, uh, will help with that traffic calming. I'm going to pass it back to David to continue talking about safety enhancements. Thanks, Bree. You covered a lot in that three-mile stretch <laughs> in a short amount of time, so thank you. Um, I'm going to just kind of cap this off with a few last slides. Um, we did talk about the ability of uh, the road diet with a center left turn lane to provide left turns. So that, that's something that is not out there today through, throughout most of the corridor, which certainly would have a lot of safety benefits. Um, something else that's gonna be beneficial is with the traffic signals, many of which are obsolete. <clears throat> um, new signals can be phased in over time. They, you know, this will be an expensive item, but it's something that's gonna be part of the project ultimately. Um, and there's the opportunity with the left turn lane to add in left turn arrows, which is a safety benefit. Um, particularly for the pedestrians and others that are crossing some of the side streets. Uh, we did a lot of traffic analysis and adding in this extra phase um, has a negligible impact uh, on traffic flows and delays, but a, a really great uh, safety effect. Next slide, please. <clears throat> um, Bree also mentioned a couple of roundabouts that we've been taking a look at. And uh, one of those is at 5th Street, and that's shown on the left. 
Um, we've, this is a, a proof of concept. We have more work to do, but certainly it can fit within the city's right of way. It would be a single lane roundabout uh, throughout the uh, intersection, um, providing separate ways for, for bicyclists to, to get on the sidewalk on a widened path and go around the roundabout or, or take the lane if they chose to do so. We've also been looking at the uh, Wilma Chan and 8th Street intersection. Um, the traffic demands here are, are heavier than our other parts of the corridor, particularly some of the turns and that left turn from Wilma Chan onto eastbound Lincoln Avenue. And we did determine that for a roundabout to, to function here, it would have to have more than one lane around it, uh, possibly two lanes all the way around the roundabout, which is, uh, th these are very challenging to be real honest uh, for bicyclists and pedestrians. So we're really sharpening our pencils and, um, and we're gonna spend a little bit more time looking at this uh, configuration and also step back a little bit and see if there's some things we can do um, with uh, retaining a traffic signal and making it, it safer with some new crosswalk amenities. So uh, we have a little bit more work to do here tonight. We'd love to hear your input. We've gotten some uh, feedback from folks already, but unfortunately we did determine pretty conclusively that a single lane roundabout just wouldn't work. It would just cause way too much uh, congestion. So a um, little bit more work to do here and that's why these are stamped preliminary and uh, we'll be back uh, looking at some options at this intersection. Next slide, please. We did uh, a lot of work, uh, months of months of work with your your traffic model and your, and your forecasts, and uh, really want to understand how this corridor would operate uh, in the future with the road diet and the different um, configurations that we're showing you tonight. And uh, we did determine that there's plenty of capacity with one lane and a left turn lane in the street, and it would still have reserve capacity even with assumed growth along the corridor. Uh, we did not see any locations that there'd be uh, um, um, lots of congestion or traffic uh, needing to divert to other streets. There's enough capacity and with reserve, reserve capacity on the street to accommodate 20 year projections um, along the roadway. Um, and as I mentioned before, the left turns at the intersections, assuming left turn arrows, um, they would in slightly increase some of the delays, but the trade-off by having much safer operations we feel uh, is is really important. Next slide. Uh, well, there you go. I think uh, we're just going to turn it to, to possibly Gail for some of the next steps before we open up to questions. Thank you, David and Bree. Great job. And for the next steps, we are requesting you all to endorse the concept this evening with the caveat and exception that to know that we do plan on coming back for the Wilma Chan 8th and Lincoln intersection because that's such, out of the entire three mile corridor, that's the biggest challenge that we're facing. And so um, we still would like to ask you to endorse the concept with that caveat. And the reason is that we feel confident about this three mile concept and we would like to continue to refine and do more of the detailed design work as we go. And as we get more detailed and refined, then we become more competitive for grants. And so then we will also be seeking grants and um, next, uh, this upcoming year as, as we continue. So we, the grants are mainly going to be for construction. We do wanna to try to fund the design work 
um, just internally and, and not go after competitive grants, we are seeing that the grants, the competitive grants, you really do need to have the approvals and some of the design in place before you're apt to to obtain those competitive grants. So that's that's why we're really wanting to move forward with this endorsement tonight. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Gail. And could you just clarify just so that all of the um, public and commissioners are very clear that you're, you want to have a, approval to move forward on the preliminary concept with the eighth roundabout, the eighth street roundabout being a, a TBD as far as design concept, and then you'll come back and uh, amend is that in the next phase of design or when is that? Because I know that we got some comments on that one. So could you just describe what you're seeing as the process there so we understand what is and is not being de facto endorsed tonight? Yes. Yeah, so this we did something similar actually with City Council and Central Avenue back in 2016 where they endorsed that concept at Central Avenue except for by the Webster Street area. And so that allowed us to just move forward with that project and seek grants and, and all, and then um, fine tune, do more analysis, and then come back to both Transportation Commission and City Council as um, just to come back with that particular intersection. And as we refine, we, we may, you know, we would probably come back and, and just show you where, where we're at with the entire corridor, yet that is really the, the challenge is that intersection. So will there be specific outreach for that as it moves forward, or will this um, commission be another venue for public feedback? I We would do both outreach and um, before the Transportation Commission, and then come to you uh, as uh, the culmination of that outreach. Okay. Okay, great. Um, I appreciate the um, concise presentation on this, and I know that the, the plans are very detailed um, and available. And if we talk through these, if we if we just have the ability to put some of those areas up, or maybe uh, the visuals that you did before the um, renderings, we can have those available. Until then, we can take the presentation down. And I would like uh, to consider public comment first, because with a project this size, it's likely that there's going to be clarifications that come maybe through public comment as well as commissioners. And so I would like to hear from members of the public first and then the commissioners, we can start with clarifying comments that may add to that and then allow staff to address some of those along with their consultant and then move on to more of the discussion on um, something that would lead us to a motion to endorse or not this evening. So with that, I'll open it up to public comment. And I see three hands raised so far. The first speaker will be Jeff Knopf. Thank you for rejoining. Now is your time to speak. Please go ahead. Sure. Um, I live on the corner of Lincoln and Walnut. And uh, by the way, we've had two crashes just this week, um, one of which jumped the curb, hit my flower bed, traveled in front of my house, totaled the car, and the woman in the car was taken away by structure to the hospital. So it's ongoing. I do, however, appreciate the immediate action and the enhancements that are planned for Lincoln and Walnut. 
Um, I've got a couple of questions. Um, as a result of a lot of work, uh, primarily around uh, sewer replacement, there's a lot of irregularity in the, in the road. And I know that that exists all over Alameda. However, it's a long stretch between Oak and Willow and trucks traveling down this road gather a lot of speed and about five, six o'clock in the morning, uh, they hit these places in the pavement. And if you were in my house, you would think there was an earthquake every time one of these trucks passed by. It is really, really upsetting. So my question is, and it goes back to a statement that was made earlier about uh, pavement improvements. And I'd like to know if part of the immediate action at this intersection involves um, some pavement improvements. Um, that's one question. Uh, I've been told that Lincoln is not a truck route, but indeed it is because I live there and large tractor trailer trucks go by there at high speed all the time. Um, if there is no resurfacing of any kind done before the restriping, my fear is that it'll never be done um, because the work will have, have already been done. My last question is, um, if, if approved, uh, what is the timing for the Lincoln Walnut upgrade? Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Next speaker will be John Spangler. Thank you, welcome John. Thank you, uh, Chair Souls and consultants and staff. Um, I have a couple of questions. Uh, first, there, there were two different versions of bike lanes with street side parking, parallel parking adjacent. One had the bike lanes protected at the curb by the, the uh, parking cars, and the second had uh, the parked cars at the curb. Um, I'm curious about why, but my my concern about the parking protected bike lanes is that at intersections, bicyclists come out of almost nowhere. Parked cars can be obscure the, the cyclists and pedestrians as well from view. So all of a sudden, it might appear to a driver, especially one who's driving too fast, that they're quote unquote coming out of nowhere. Um, and that has been an issue for a long time on Telegraph Avenue in Oakland with the primarily curbside uh, bike lanes that the city of Oakland put in and is now considering pulling out. I'm curious about that. Uh, the second question I have is about westbound left turns from Lincoln onto Oak Street at the library and police station. Uh, I happen to make those turns a lot. On the first Sunday of, afternoon of the month, it's nearly impossible uh, by the time we get back from church. And, um, and at commute hours in the evening, it's also almost impossible. I'd like to know if there is a plan there so far to have a controlled left turn. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. The next speaker will be Cindy Johnson. 
Good evening, commissioners, consultants, and staff. I'm speaking on behalf of Bikewalk Alameda tonight and just wanted to reiterate our overall support for this great project with the suggestions in our letter and those of Bike East Bay submitted today. We had thoughts about the roundabouts and other spot items, but focused on the subset of intersections in this project that are part of our newly adopted low stress network, which as you know, is a subset of streets that we plan to make safe and welcoming to pedestrians and bicyclists of all ages and abilities. In particular, we're concerned about the three intersections at Ninth Street, St. Charles and Broadway, where Lincoln becomes a neighborhood greenway. None of these intersections are signalized and without a dedicated crossing phase where motorists are fully stopped for pedestrian and bicyclist cross traffic, we feel it's imperative to do everything we can to force drivers to slow, see, and yield to other street users. While there are lots of great improvements for these intersections, we hope additional countermeasures we in Bike East Bay have proposed can be evaluated and where feasible added with the goal of maximizing safety. As a city that's trying to encourage people to shift from driving to greener, healthier modes of transportation, and as a Vision Zero City committed to zero traffic deaths by 2035, we'd like to see safe infrastructure improvements prioritized by default particularly around the subset of low stress network facilities. We can't eliminate risk entirely, but there's a lot we can do through street design and we should not skimp here when we have the chance for real change. We don't wanna look back after the next fatality and regret any missed opportunities. Thank you so much for your consideration. Great work. Thank you. Next speaker, please. The next speaker will be Jim Strello. Howdy. The uh, Lincoln and Walnut uh, fatality happened after your redesign. Was the death because a pedestrian wore dark clothes or had no flashlight? Even if you install flashing beacon lights, a pedestrian could still cross without pushing that button. Uh, it could have been a pedestrian's fault or a pedestrian's fault in the future. Redesigning just because of fatality is wrong thinking without full disclosure to the public the facts of the injury or fatality. Residents love the current design at 5th Street. Closing off eastbound Lincoln at 5th Street is most undesirable and unnecessary. Do not install a roundabout there. Leave it alone. Closing off access to eastbound Pacific at the Academy is wrong thinking. How do vehicles from Alameda Point get to Buena Vista Avenue without driving a further distance due to your new diversions? You're supposed to avoid diverting traffic. Driving a further distance increases greenhouse gases. Go back to the drawing board there. Highly undesirable is the reduction of parking to police and library facilities. I see those spaces fully utilized every day. Instead of saying, deal with it, you should provide a solution. In other words, more parking in the area. Yes, traffic volume is a third capacity, but in a disaster, you need as much space as possible once you remove that safety factor for emergency evacuation use, you will never get that safe space back again. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. The next speaker will be Peter Kahn. Good evening. Good evening. Um, thank you for the excellent presentation. Uh, my only little comment was regarding the um, uh, the roundabout at Lincoln and Wilma Chan there, where um, there just seems to be a lot of doubt as to how that can be done effectively as a roundabout. Um, and I'm just wondering what other alternatives are being looked at. Uh, I, I hope there are other alternatives being considered um, because I think what's, what's critical is just to have the safest, most useful um, 
intersection there. And I don't, you know, I just hope we don't just be so focused on the roundabout concept uh, that we miss doing what's actually best for the intersection. Um, so that's my, my only comment. And I hope that is really uh, other alternatives are considered and looked at. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. The next speaker will be Ryan Klossner. Klossner? Yes, that's me. Hi. Thank you for taking my call and thanks for pronouncing my name correctly. Uh, yes, I'm very supportive of this road diet on Lincoln. I live on, we live on Bay Street, just south of Lincoln. And um, we cross the road daily. Um, I drive on Lincoln. I'm really looking forward to having a road diet. So people like me that drive the speed limit or close to it will encourage other people to um, drive that same speed limit. Having the left turn lane will be very safe instead of having the weave that we currently have. Um, also, just having access to Gene Sweeney and the resources there. Right now, it's very difficult to cross Lincoln by bike or by pedestrian at Bay Street. I do want to consider, I know that they're, they're, I think because of the bike access or the access to Gene Sweeney, St. Charles is the preferred option for a crossing, but there is a lot of increase to commercial activity at the Bay Street and uh, Lincoln area with a new coffee shop and a market and well, Domino's Pizza, of course. But I think it would be a benefit to have that a well-marked kind of commercial hub. And again, I, I disagree with the caller. I think once there is more biking on Lincoln, people will bike to the library and, and, and move that as another option set rather than driving. Um, lastly, I just want to thank you all commissioners for your dedication to the city and city staff for making Alameda a really great city to live. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to these improvements. So, uh, great work on this and, uh, you have my support. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Any other public speakers before I close out public comment on this item 6B recommendation to endorse the design concept. I don't see any hands raised, so I'll be closing up public comment. We'll take clarifying questions from commissioners as well as any kind of staff feedback um, on clarifications that we may have heard in the public comment as well as commissioners and then move on to a motion. I don't see any hands raised. And so I'm going to um, close out public comment and we will turn it to the uh, commission. I, I wrote a few things down uh, from our public comments that sounded more clarification and not and not comment or, or just voicing support or dissent. Um, and I'll bring those up as, as we go through. So let me open another floor up. I have um, to go see to do it in order. Commissioner Susan Thera. Uh, thank you, Chair. And uh, kudos to the team, uh, project team that has done uh, very thorough work and it is a complex corridor even you know the entirety you have uh, looked at uh, so my clarifying questions are, uh, are did you consider the potential increased traffic that will be expected from Alameda point build out Gail do you want to um, field that first I'll, I'll hand it over to Dave Parisi and Bree because they they have did a very thorough analysis. So thank you so much in advance for explaining what you did. And if you need to pull up any slides, feel free to take the screen as you. I, I have like three more uh, quite 
questions, probably I should just read it out and then they if, if we're going to do clarifying questions altogether, I'm kind of keeping a list. I don't know if if David or, or Gail is tracking them as well, but if we could just do a full thing of clarifying questions, that would probably be most efficient um, and then okay. save comments of, you know, support or any concerns, please just commissioners just try and save that until the discussion after. Sure. I'll um, I'll just read out the question. So uh, and uh, other question is, did you include police and fire in the stakeholder group and uh, what kind of special treats treatments around schools and, uh, of course, the police department, but schools is the main, main um, question for me. And the other one is, are you planning on keeping or incorporating the historic remnants because it really defines the character of the, you know, Lincoln on you. So. Okay, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Noctegall. Okay, thank you, Chair Souls. Um, my clarifying question has to do with the three preliminary draft concept strip maps that were provided as exhibits in the agenda packet. And I noted that there was no key provided to explain the different types of crosswalks proposed. And if it was possible to explain the difference between the yellow, yellow with green, green, green with black, and black crosswalks that are shown on those strips, please. Okay. Commissioner Colstrand. Thank you. Um, I, I have raised issues consistently uh, regarding this corridor. And the reason I'm doing that is because I really feel like this being the last east-west street in Alameda that has four lanes, I think we have an obligation to make sure that circulation overall in Alameda works. And so I have asked the last time this was here, and then again in, um, I think it was either November or December at our meetings that we get enough information related to the traffic analysis that we can feel comfortable that to if we make a decision to reduce the number of lanes here, that we're not only um, looking into the future, which I see you've done calculations for 2040, but what I still don't see is how it relates not just to the Lincoln Corridor, but how it takes into account the fact that Encinal is also going to be reduced in width and none of the streets east-west will now be more than two or three lanes. And I really understand the need for safety improvements along Lincoln. I think you very effectively made that case and the public is obviously very concerned about it and wants to improve pedestrian and vehicular safety along Lincoln. But I think we need to just have a little bit broader perspective on it before we make this decision. 
The second piece of that, which I'd asked for all along, was that when we look at the need for bicycle improvements along this corridor, that we take into account the bicycle improvements that are proposed on Pacific, and for that matter, on Santa Clara and Central as well, so that we have a good sense of what the need is um, on these east-west corridors. And although I really am compelled by the safety argument, I still feel like this request that has been made on more than one occasion, and I think it was not just me that was making this request, that it's still, we're still lacking the broader picture that we really need to endorse this for the city. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Whitesey. You're on mute. Sorry about that. Uh, I had two clarifying questions. One was to get at the comment from the public about the loss of spaces by the library and the police station. I was curious what the actual number is uh, in terms of loss with moving things from an angled to stretch to uh, parallel parking spots. If there's an actual number on that, kind of connect to that uh, pre-pandemic. I don't know this number. Pre-pandemic, there is a giant parking garage right there. And I was curious what was known about it. Has that parking garage been at capacity previously? because it seems like you could probably lose a few spots if you had capacity in that large parking garage. Um, my second question actually is, it was very similar to Commissioner Susan Thera's comment. Um, I'm for this project, I'm gonna vote for it most likely, but I do wonder, I'm sure, maybe you've shown us these numbers. Um, so the enterprise zone, which is essentially at the end of Pacific. So when you, you exit into the base or what was the base, the, the, the plan is to put a bunch of businesses there. And I was curious, do we have projected numbers for how many people that's going to add on a daily commute to into the enterprise zone and then out of the enterprise zone? Because a lot of them will be taking presumably Pacific. And I, and I think that also gets at um, Commissioner Colstrand's question where we would ideally have a lot of those people getting on a bus and going across the island to their homes on Alameda. So I just want to know how many people do we expect at the enterprise zone by 1940, by 1940, <laughs> by 20, by 20, by 1940, would have been a lot, uh, by 2040. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I only have a couple things to add they're somewhat redundant, so I'll keep it brief. I think just getting better clarification around, um, and I think there was kind of a slide on this, David, where you, you talked about a little bit is the immediate plan for some signalized intersections versus some that may come later, I think, and just to clarify what that plan is. Um, and then also to pull forward some things that I could use clarification from some of the written comments we received. So not stating for or against, but I, I could see some concerns that I think we should hear about related to roundabouts and pedestrians and the, the, um, whether or not the roundabouts will have a way for um, pedestrians to pause traffic to cross or, or how that will be used. And I don't want to go into a full roundabout presentation, but I do think we need to touch on that since it seemed like a, a persistent concern over roundabouts and, and pedestrian safety. Um, diversion on side streets. I think this goes into one that I had that was similar to Commissioner Colstrand's of 
I wasn't really clear on exactly what data model or, or what was considered in the scenario for the traffic demand and the capacity. And if it did consider other uh, planned improvements that were either in the active transportation plan. So not just other bike lanes and road diets, but also slow streets. We did get a comment on the slow streets and what that could possibly do to some of those neighborhoods during peak time as far as diversion. And then there was a question about why aren't there more crosswalks on every section? I guess there were some in there that did not have crosswalks at all. And if we're doing improvements across everything, do we want crosswalks on all of those intersections? Um, even if they aren't necessarily legally required for people to be able to cross there, would that be safer to, to have them? Um, so with that laundry list of a lot of uh, fun questions, and again, feel free to take the screen if you need any visual aids from the presentation, but if you could go through those and then if I could, if I need to uh, facilitate with any kind of areas that were asked about, um, I kind of kept a list as well. So do you wanna, let me turn it over to David. Yeah, that would be great. I just, just um, for the immediate project, that's the Walnut uh, Lincoln, just to get that one out of the way for Mr. Kanoth, is that, yes, we are looking at, um, there's a pavement patch that we want to um, resolve. Just so that's just a, like an easy one off for, uh, off the list for that immediate project. And then I'll pass it to David and Bree to talk about just um, their great work having to do with uh, 2040 traffic volume projections. Okay. And Lisa, did you want something to say before I turn it over to Parisi? Yeah, I'll just answer the easy question of whether the garage filled pre-pandemic. Um, back when our parking guidance system was working better, I ran the numbers for the full year, if I believe it's 2018, and it showed it only filling up on street fair days. Okay, thank you. All right, David, go ahead. All right, I'm gonna weave in some of the uh, comments that came in from the community too. And, the, and I'm just gonna go through this in the order that we heard the comments. Um, so back at Walnut, as Gail mentioned, yeah, we, we, we know about some of the pavement conditions there and an underground trench that may not have the best compaction. Um, and that's, that's being looked at by the city. The timing of the upgrade is this summer for the immediate improvements at Walnut. Those are under design there at 90% design. So um, the intention is to implement those this summer. Somebody asked about the different types of bikeways, um, particularly why um, buffered bike lanes versus protected. A lot of that has to do with how much room is on the street and the number of driveways. If there's a lot of driveways, we usually are having buffered bike lanes. Um, if there's a fewer number of driveways we're able and we have enough width, we can get protected bikeways in, uh, which is uh, awesome because also that occurs near a cat. Uh, Academy of Alameda. And uh, for sure, we'll make sure the transitions in and out of the intersections are graceful and longer than you've seen on Telegraph and other places so that they, there's good sight distance. That's very important. Um, there's a question about um, you know the no low stress network, the bike network, particularly at some of the cross streets at Nine St. Charles and Broadway. And as Bree mentioned in the diagram shown earlier, there's a potential to put in active hybrid beacons at those locations, which are the flashing red lights that can be activated, uh, which um, maybe those could be used instead of the rectangular rapid flashing beacons. And our design would not preclude um, some median islands potentially in the future at those locations to make two stage crossings for cyclists. So um, that's pretty exciting. 
There's a question about the alternatives for the Lincoln uh, Wilma Chan uh, intersection. And yeah, it's we were really hoping crossing our fingers that a, a single lane roundabout uh, could work, but it, it just it just won't uh, with the forecast traffic numbers. So um, the question was, what are the things we're going to be looking at? Um, we're, we're diving in now. Uh, we're looking at what we can do with a signal with bulbouts, refuge islands, special phasing for pedestrians, bikes, and traffic, uh, tightening up turns. Uh, we want to really make it safe, but also accommodate uh, traffic uh, without congestion. Now to some of the commissioner's questions. Um, let's see. Did we uh, model, did we include uh, traffic to Alameda Point? Yeah, we did. We spent, we spent literally spent months working with your uh, travel demand model, which does assume uh, future forecast growth and Alameda Point throughout the city. It also assumes improvements on other streets, such as the Central Avenue Road Diet, which uh, predicts some diversion onto parts of, of Lincoln. Um, in fact, the model shows uh, about a 15% growth between now in 2040 and AM traffic generally up and down the quarter and about a 30% growth in afternoon traffic. We took those numbers and bumped them up even more because we wanted a safety net to make sure that the, the street could still work. Um, and there's some areas, particularly west side of the corridor where we would have, we do expect higher growth um, coming in and out. So um, all that traffic, the turning movements, we've um, taken a look at. Um, I'm very conservative in my traffic analysis as a traffic engineer, so we spent a lot of time pumping things up. We wanted to make sure, because we've heard this question come from you before, but how, you know, we want to make sure as, as a road diet, this, this will work. And if you um, looked at those level of service uh, results, 2040, even with the projections that we've inflated, uh, to be on the safe side, we're seeing very good service levels and very low delays, meaning there's room for even potentially even future growth, even more growth above that. Uh, there was a question about what we did at schools. We spent a lot of time working with uh, folks at the schools, looking at safe routes to school plans, um, making sure that we had good pedestrian crossings, better bike facilities, uh, slower movements in and out of driveways. And um, we do a lot of work uh, throughout the, the Bay Area with safe routes to schools. We're very familiar uh, with some of the needs, but we spent extra time rolling up our sleeves and working with the school community. I love the comment about including historic uh, remnants. We haven't thought about that, um, but I think that's, that's a really neat idea. I don't, we, we've seen some, uh, there may be opportunities for even more to really celebrate the street and some of the history. So that might be, that'd be some cool, cool idea for um, including in the future design. And we'd love to learn more. Uh, I do know that there's a lot of street lights that I would call historic that don't work very well. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and it's, it, it's very uh, inconsistent spacing. So that's an area that, that there's some uh, potential. Regarding the strip maps and what we're showing for the different types of crosswalks, I don't know if you want to address that, the yellow or, or school crosswalks, exactly. black or just typical, actually white, we can't really show the white very well at that scale. So we just show them schematically as black. Anything else you wanted to add, Bree, to that? Uh, the green that you mentioned, I'm sure that's at the roundabouts that we're proposing, and those are for the bike movement. So we're separating where peds, pedestrians would be and then where bikes would be traveling. Yeah. That's right. And then um, Commissioner Colstrand, you asked again about some of the circulation in 2040 and, and road diets. And I, I think I answered that with my previous comment. Um, let's see, I have another page here somewhere. Oh yeah, um, loss of parking a library. 
where you can give those numbers. Yes, um, existing near the police station for the angled parking, there's existing 19, 19 spaces. Uh, nine of them are police spaces. 10 are regular spaces. Uh, the proposed switch from angled to parallel uh, would be 13 spaces um, and keeping those nine spaces for the police vehicles. And they're not police vehicles. They are uh, the police um themselves their personal vehicles are parked there police vehicles have the entire garage and parking lot um so it wouldn't affect that so we're going from 19 to 13 spaces and then finally commissioner souls you asked about you had several questions one was about um uh, maybe some confusion i caused about the signals so a lot of the traffic lights that are out there are um i'd call obsolete the 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 mast arm poles are too short or they don't have the sufficient wind loading, structural loading that, that you would have, you're supposed to have under current conditions. Also, some of the traffic signal lights are only eight inches in diameter instead of 12 inches. So uh, the, this plan could allow, um, you know, over time for replacement of the entire signal systems, not necessary right away. It's something that could be phased. And when replacing the signal system, they would have to be replaced head and left turn arrows. Um, the project can work without left turn arrows at the intersections, but we prefer to see those uh, implemented over time again with new with the new signal system. But the neat thing about the traffic signals um, is that they could be implemented in as a separate phase over time if it's done carefully. Um, you're right about roundabouts and pedestrian safety. That's something we're very, very aware of. Um, single lane roundabouts, if they're designed right with the, the right uh, entry uh, angles and uh, refuge islands and, and sight lines um, are safe, in my opinion, for uh, pedestrians with, with uh, um, uh, the different amenities that can be provided with those. It's really important to make sure that the, the speed of entry is um, managed at a, a low rate. We do have concerns uh, when there are multiple lane roundabouts, and that is why we are stepping back from the idea at, at uh, Wilma Chan um, there's ways to remedy that with uh, refuge islands that split the lanes and re rectangular rapid flashing beacons, uh, but this would be a first uh, for Alameda, and uh, we want to take a look at some different ideas, including some of the uh, mitigations with the, with the signal and some other um, uh, countermeasures that could be implemented with that. Uh, the version on side streets, as I mentioned before, we did look and we took a very conservative, we even pumped up the numbers even more. Uh, just kind of to have a factor of safety. We don't think there will be um, diversion with this project. The service levels at the intersections during the peak of the peak would be um, on the more than acceptable range. So that's something that um, we feel pretty confident about. And the last question I heard was about more crosswalks. We are showing some new crosswalks at locations uh, up and down the corridor um, that we think are, are pretty important. There is the opportunity for additional marked crosswalks uh, at, a, at a few locations. Um, those are things we, we could consider, but we really spent some time figuring out where it made sense to add marked crosswalks based on sight lines and spacing. Uh, but that's something that even if the, it's an un unmarked crosswalk, it's, it's, it, those are some areas we can, we can further consider. Um, but again, when we had to do some trade-off, look at trade-offs, we always tried to look at where the pedestrian activity was in the spacing of the crosswalks themselves. So I think that's all the questions we heard tonight. There were some about, um, uh, may, well, maybe just some, I think some of these were in the staff report, but since they were talked about, um, 
and maybe Gail, this is more for staff, but could you talk a little bit about the, um, you know, I know you had engagement with AC Transit, but uh, Commissioner Susan there also asked specifically about, you know, your engagement with um, EMS, any kind of traffic fire, um, which I think is more, Commissioner Susan there, I would echo that I have more concerns about that on the, the ones that are not the three lane, because in an emergency, the third lane could always become a way for emergency responders to get within that, what they, the 30 second window that can mean life or death for somebody. Um, but the ones with um, the more boulevard type design, I could see uh, that being a, a concern, but I don't know if we engaged with first responders, um, Gail or, or EMS providers. Yeah, so we had three different stakeholder meetings and they were on our stakeholder group. We also just had focus group meetings just with police and fire on specific issues. With fire, it was about the roundabouts and with police, it was just about in front of their uh, building there with the parking and, and how the street would look. And in both cases, they're fine with how we're moving forward and they're comfortable with it. And uh, about the the parking too, just in that area, we also met with the library across the street and, and they're also fine and think it's a safety improvement because it's hard for folks to get in and out of that diagonal parking at the library that's currently on Lincoln. And, and just another thing about the off-street parking at the library that uh, there's going to be an increased um, enforcement potential there to uh, allow that turnover to happen more and and so just to function better and um, so I, we have confidence that it's the right approach. I think that's most of what I well, let me just double check. Oh, on the future signals, David, given that you know more modern signals require more um, supporting infrastructure to meet current modern day standards. And I've always talked about how I think all of these projects should be future proofing for power, comms, conduit and stuff. But as far as the, the actual design, is that part of the concept that there will be that those uh, the the concrete and um, actual structural support of those more modern heavier structures will be accommodated for within this concept without yeah, having to throw fit later yeah that's the plan i mean what you're looking at now in those three strip maps are conceptual in nature but the cost estimate that we're putting together um, assumes ultimately all the signal systems would be replaced okay okay that's what i want to know okay yeah. <clears throat> I think that wraps up the clarifications piece, unless any commissioners have a follow-up question or, or further clarification on anything that you had put forward. Commissioner Sithanthira. I think there was one question uh, from the public too about this, you know, what alternatives were considered, right? You know, we are seeing the roundabout as a solution, but, uh, were there any other thought that went in before that? Or, I mean, generally, because we are looking at the final recommended concept. You're asking about at Wilma Chan, particularly? 
um, overall for the road, how um, for the entire corridor, what thought went behind it? If, it? if it is just one slide or two, that would really help, like, you know, how you got to this concept of just road diet and then um, and then in, in terms of the intersections where you are proposing roundabouts, how you went to, uh, um, you know, it resulted in roundabout as the recommended design and what- Sure, I, I can start a little that. bit with that and maybe Gail can, can chime in. The uh, traffic volumes and even into the future, uh, I'll just put it out there, don't justify for, for travel lanes and it provides an opportunity to improve safety you know, through, through a road diet by providing uh, shorter pedestrian crossings, left turn lanes, uh, just so happens we can get bike lanes in uh, with that. So um, the volumes are, are luckily, luckily, in a way, it's a wide street with low numbers, low volumes. So it has, it's, it's, a, it's a perfect uh, case for, for road diet. Looking at the intersections, um, you know, the, these are two intersections that have a history to, with the roundabouts, two, two intersections that have history of collisions, uh, high speeds. So we're looking at means to do to provide some traffic calming and to uh, improve safety, particularly for the types of collisions that that are occurring there, broadside collisions and whatnot. So that was the intent for the roundabouts. That said, like I mentioned before, Wilma Chan, it's going to be challenging uh, to put in a roundabout that would work there. So we're going to step back and look at how we can uh, potentially, again, use a signal, an improved signal system with uh, maybe different arrangement at the intersection and some other measures. Hope that answers your, your question on that. And if I could just uh, go ahead, sure. Commissioner, did that right answer your question? Uh, yes, I have a totally different thought, um, <laughs> but I can come later. Okay. Could, uh, could I just add to that just it's just on the staff report. I, I did try to be quantitative in the staff report and, and looking at the Federal Highway Administration's countermeasures that they mentioned and, and the data behind it on safety. And so if you um, go there and, and that that's why, you know, when possible, we, we want to try to do these roundabouts, the, the single lane, it's um, reduces crashes with people getting seriously hurt or killed by 78% compared to a, a traffic signal. So that's, that's huge. And, and out of any of the countermeasures, that's, that's the best you could, you can do. And so that's why we, we really tried. And as David is saying is, is it's, it's unfortunate that the two, the, the uh, single lane roundabout didn't work. So that's why we're, um, we're, we're wanting to rethink it there. And I, and I should add also that, you know, if someone may ask why don't, why don't we propose more roundabouts? Well, they won't fit. So that, that's the other thing. It's many of the intersections, we just, we even a single lane roundabout really can't fit in that space. So we're looking at, you know, what we can do with the, the signalized locations with bulb outs and better signals, things like that. I would think that um, just a note on roundabouts, the public comments that we've received and the conversation that is ongoing is still very, much to me, if I had to candidly say it, it's the trusting the science of roundabouts, but not having experience with them and, and a true personal proof of concept. And I think, I think there's validity to that and how people get comfortable with them, both as a driver or a pedestrian. And to that point, I was curious, which I don't remember, Gail, which one lines up as being 
as being our first, because we talked about this in the last, in the central project and how that would kind of offer some opportunities to test things out, see if we need to outfit it with additional beacons or anything else. So are these aren't all coming in parallel at once, right? Right. So just a reminder, Lincoln, this whole project is not funded for construction. And so the, the roundabouts that are funded are on Central Avenue. There's three. And then um, there's there's one that's funded if it gets approved on March 7th by City Council on, um, as part of Clement Tilden. So there's there's a potential of four. That, uh, and um, next or this year is when Central Avenue construction will start. So we will see start seeing those roundabouts next year. And we do, um, if if uh, the Kittleson citywide roundabout contract gets um, extended, then we do have in the work plan is is a roundabout rodeo, and and just more further education about roundabout citywide to prep us for the Central Avenue roundabout. So that we're expecting that to happen later this year and into next year. Okay. Go ahead, David. I was just gonna, I was just gonna add one thing. You know, the nervousness that 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 you have is is shared nationally, and has been for the last 10, 15 years when modern roundabouts have really started to be deployed. And there's been several studies that have shown that typically before a, a jurisdiction has a roundabout, 70 to 80 percent of folks are are worried, are skeptical, right? And then two or three years after the roundabouts have been deployed, the the numbers shift, and 70 to 80 percent of the folks are are a kind accepting and really like the roundabout. So it, 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 it takes time um, and, and we're seeing this throughout the nation. But, right, but I it's think very important for the roundabouts to be designed correctly, for sure. Right, yeah. right. I think that's where I was going was really yeah. just assurance that there is room for the city to learn the lessons as well mm -hmm. of what our residents are going to find acceptable and adapt to and that between projects that if we need to reconsider or look at things during where they are in the design phase, that there should be active opportunities to take those lessons learned and public feedback from one roundabout to apply to another. So it was really just kind of a comment on the planning exercise that there is time and space between these projects to, to do it right and not try and, you know, put in 20 roundabouts all at once if there was even contractor capacity to do so. Um, <laughs> Commissioner Sudhir, did you have anything else before I move on to Commissioner Polster? I, I want to completely second that, you know, the nervousness and we want to see one built and then test it out. And there is yeah. so much. It's I'm glad to hear uh, what uh, David mentioned about the comfort level increasing. But again, it's uh, with a multi-model option, um, the roundabout we are looking at, you know, including active transportation and then placing it on a major corridor. So yeah. those are the things. And uh, it is something that we need to be really careful about. All right, thank you. Commissioner Colstrand, thanks for waiting. Please go ahead. So I I want to say that I think it's not that I have an issue with this project per se. And I think that it could go a long way to addressing a lot of the safety problems on Lincoln. And I appreciate and I don't question the traffic analysis that you've done for this corridor. But now I wanna to turn to staff because I, I've been on this commission for four years and I think on more than one occasion, we've asked for some sense 
of what all these changes in road diets are going to do to the overall circulation in Alameda. So this is not just about the Lincoln Corridor. And it's not saying, you know, David, you know, saying, yeah, we looked at this and it's all good. You know, <laughs> we would like to see some numbers, I think, that just reflect what is circulation going to look like on this island in 2040 with all the development and with all the reduced lanes and how, what assumptions are you making about the mode shifts and how that's going to work? Because I too want to see those mode shifts. I want it all to be successful. I think we do need safer streets. We need more accommodations for pedestrians, bicycles, transit users, and we need to have safe network for vehicular drivers because I would guess almost everybody, if not everybody that's engaging in this conversation tonight drives a car at some point, if not on a daily basis. So I just want some assurance and I don't know how else to ask for it to say, just showing us the numbers for Lincoln does not satisfy me. And I just can't vote for this project because it's the last, at this point in time, until I get some assurance from the staff that you actually feel like even with all of this, with all of these changes that things are gonna work okay and we're gonna have a reasonable shift in modes and you know, we're gonna have more transit investment, we're gonna make it safer, safer for pedestrians. And I just, I just feel like we haven't seen that information. So um, I, I know I may be the uh, sole detractor at this point, but I just wanted to explain what my reasoning is for this and why I continue to ask for this information because I don't, think it has been presented to us. And I think as transportation commissioners, we have an obligation to understand the big picture before we can, as we continue to make these decisions on these individual corridors. So thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Colstrand. Um, I mean, I don't think you're alone as far as, I mean, I've, I've voiced a similar opinion. I think my comment was, um, maybe not as eloquent, but <laughs> I still feel like in some of the public comments asking about diversion that without that, and we've talked about the travel demand model and that's what we're basing it on, but I don't think we've really come back to commissioners in the last four plus years with understanding the travel demand model, whether or not that shifted given, you know, any other land use developments or timelines. Um, and I, do you feel like we're at risk of pushing the problem around um, to other neighborhoods and other intersections? Uh, I think the Alameda point is one aspect of it, but I think even at those peak times, and I have seen a lot more aggressive driving, I've seen a big problem with curb management of double parking and people just stopping in the middle of what's currently a second lane that's no longer gonna be there I really wonder along Lincoln where this is, if how how all the delivery vehicles that are sometimes there at peak times, what they're gonna do. Um, so from an operation standpoint, 
I am curious how it will work. I think Commissioner Colstrom, one of the things that um, this does do is it, without the heavier infrastructure that comes with the higher class bike lane, I think it does offer other opportunities for, for transit. I love the history of this being a rail corridor because in a future world with quiet streetcars and that kind of making a comeback in mixed use neighborhoods of um, small urban street, uh, urban neighborhood street trolleys coming back, this would be amazing to have some sort of cross island using this particular corridor and all of that beautiful right of way for something like that, that we still do not have because we switched to buses a long time ago and never reconsidered doing something at the city level. And that's a big, bold vision. But I would hope that with the way this is structured, there are only certain sections that if there was to have some of that more advanced novel intra-island travel, um, that we could accommodate it with the change in the configuration again in the future. I don't, I, I think of this as for inter-island travel and for safety. I still am not convinced um, based on my last comments. So just to reiterate the last time, I think it was November that we talked about this of on-island versus off-island trips and what this really changes for that. Because that's, and that's why I was asking about the counts because I think you know, having recreational bike lanes is great and beautiful and much, much, much safer, but we still have to be answering to people who should have safe, reliable commutes that cannot be done completely or partially by bike for a myriad of reasons. And I do think that will continue to be an equity issue. And I think that causing congestion is going to continue to go against our um you know, greenhouse gas goals that we have and looking at all that holistically uh, across the island with the travel demand may, I think the ask here is um, that that is presented more holistically and not project by project. So that's my current rationale on where I think this could work. Um, I don't, I don't think it'll be easy to change back ever. So that makes me not <laughs> want to pump the brakes. And again, not about this project, but really about the overall, the overall plan and whether or not we really have numbers that have been presented, you know, in the public within a commission packet here, even we don't have a lot of the detail uh, or the assumptions that went into it, right? So that's my comments on the travel demand piece. Um, and Gail, I don't know if you wanna speak to anything of that or what we could potentially look forward to seeing as a more comprehensive uh, plan on what, what, the, what the travel demand model we're gonna use moving forward for these. Well, we could have uh, David and Bree come back with all the details um, provided if if that would be helpful i just um when we come back just just out of um when we come back for the wilma chan 8th lincoln intersection if that would make you feel more comfortable i just um you know what i heard david say though is that actually he did do what you asked and that looked at what the central avenue traffic model 
did and took into consideration given that road diet and the potential diversion and, and added that to the Lincoln project. So, and, and that is using cumulative land new development as, as, and 20, that's why we got such the 15% and 30% increases. And, and he even increased that more uh, with the central Avenue and even more just, just to see what happened. So I, I feel like we have made a good faith effort to really get to what you have asked for. And, you know, to Commissioner Whitesey with the Enterprise Zone, that is, we are a bedroom community. So that that type of development is actually going to help us because it's going the other way. And so I, I uh, you know, what what we're seeing now is, is David and Bree, what they're showing is this is, has three what what did you call it three times the the capacity of what we need today and we don't even know what the future holds that 2040 model is really conservative because now we have telecommuting now we now we have uh, in our future we potentially have um new technologies driverless vehicles so you know the the future is a little bit unknown and, and in my eyes uh like i think this is overly conservative model in terms of projecting into the future traffic. I don't know, David, if you want to add. Well, I'll, I'll add to that. Like I mentioned, we did some stress testing. Uh, we increased the the forecasts even more because we've heard this commission loud and clear about, you know, just, just your nervousness and, and we're very conservative in our traffic work. I want to make sure this works. So that's why we, we added, increased the, the numbers even, even much further than what the model uh, says. Uh, would occur. And still, we're seeing reserve capacity and excess capacity along this quarter, even with, with the road diet. So um, we feel pretty confident with the numbers. Um, I think they'll actually be lower in the future than what, what we're predicting. Um, and, we, and again, we did, we did consider what the other uh, roadway improvements in the city that are planned uh, would do, as well as the land uses, the potential, the future land uses. How big is the stretch of the protected bike lanes near Alameda Academy? That's a good question. We could, I don't know if we can give you linear feet. We can tell you from where to where. We maybe can pull that up real quick. That's Sorry, fine. could you repeat it's, it's that like, question? It's, it's like three blocks. Three? Okay. Yeah, I was just looking for general blocks. Just okay. not, you know, to get so technical. Do <laughs> um, <laughs> you... Uh, commission, well, to wrap up the travel demand thing, I think staff... I think beyond this project, maybe one of the things that would support the request is that understanding. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for interjecting. I used to manage um, um, Alameda County travel demand model until two years ago, and City of Alameda used that um, for many of the projects. So in that capacity, or at least in that context, can I ask some question or uh, can I add some points? Or I can wait. Oh, yeah, you can know if you would like to add some if you would. I mean, if you have a request for staff um, that details out either. Well, yes, I mean, go ahead and add those and then I'll, I'll make a request that may incorporate that. How's that, Commissioner Suthanthera? Sure. Uh, in, you know, so the, 
two two different things right um, commissioner colstrand's request is a large um, you know uh, the big picture analysis and for the big picture analysis you, okay let me take a step back what model did you use david so the uh, the city has a model that is a tra transportation demand model that's um uh, i forget what what is it m2 model we take we take a look at the travel demand model and then we look at is it um do, are, are there adjustments that need to be made and that's typical from a traffic engineer standpoint and we did we moved tra more and more traffic to the Lincoln corridor to be as conservative as possible but generally i think it's the m2 model uh that this the city has has been been using in, in a incorporates a 2020 traffic box. Yes, and let me uses. just add let me just add to that that for Central Avenue we also had to do a detailed traffic analysis with, yeah. with the cumulative land use development in the future and and we um used the Alameda County model as a as a starting point yet we be, we got it more detailed we added more intersections and more more streets because as you know it's just it's a little bit um it, yeah, we just needed wanted it to make more detail, and so from Central Avenue it got more detail, and then, and then we passed that information to Parisi, so that he could build his model for this intersection using the expected diversion from Central. So we are using the citywide approach. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if any error that can be compounded, you know. Right, you know, Salamida County model is very coarse and it's suitable for 880 kind of projection uh, or major arterials, right? Uh, Mission Bolivar or something like that. Alameda has always been a challenge. City of Alameda has always been a challenge given the constrained land use. So I just want to raise that, uh, you know, uh, point. And uh, if a carved out model was developed for City of Alameda roads or for one particular project, if any error that got in and that can get compounded if you keep building on it. And so there needs to be some kind of a validation that needs to be done, that's one. But I'm not questioning any of the, the Lincoln assumption or Lincoln it sounds reasonable um, in terms of how, um, you know, the steps you mentioned in how you increased it. But uh, then if there is a need for, a, you know, higher level how complete network analysis, and uh, that's a whole different, scenario if there is a macro analysis macro simulation per se that can be done with that and that's a whole that's that will be a separate step i assume but um, I'll, I'll i'll just stop there um i think so just, for the project it seems reasonable um maybe you should uh, add a um, add a slide or so or some information you need to give it to us right in so we understand how the numbers came about and where it started and then how you ground truth with the um, existing count and so it'll be helpful gail if i could just real quick those are all those are all great points you, you actually have a pretty pretty refined model for alameda it covers all the collector streets some local streets all the arterials and for sure what we did first right out of the gates is checked out how close that model was to actual counts right look for validation calibration before we started making uh, adjustments and increasing numbers even even beyond what the model is showing so those are great points and in the future we can we can show show a slide with some of the science behind it we'd be happy to do that and just also just to clarify is that um Kittleson, they're the ones who 
did the Alameda County model. Mm -hmm. And they're also the ones that did the more detail analysis for Central Avenue, which is what we're using here at Lincoln Avenue. So it is a citywide approach. And, and they, they, Kittleson, they're the ones who know the model the best, which is why we relied on them and, and David coordinated with them. So thank you, David and Bree. All right. Thank you. Are we still in clarifying questions or are we in the free for all? No, we're in, the, we're, we're in discussion. We finished clarifying questions. Okay, I think um, if, if Commissioner White's here, Commissioner Noctegall, if you have things specifically related, related to the model, please add them now. Otherwise, just give me one second to wrap this topic up. Uh, I can wait. Okay, thank you. Um, I think the understanding of, so there's two things that I think we should, we would all benefit from moving forward. There's obviously a deeper understanding on the staff and consultant side of the model assumptions that are made. So as far as volumes and um, I'm, and when I talk about it, I'm not talking about just capacity because I understand congestion and peak, right? And when we talk about mode shift, we're talking about trips, not overall lifestyle of what someone just, just chooses to always walk, right? I mean, it's the what people are doing at different times of the day, weekdays, weekends, peak times, morning, night. And when you we see those assumptions laid out and we see the overall circulation of where the street classification that we just put into place is, that is how we should be oriented <laughs> to looking at a project by project decision. And so I do think it is incumbent upon the commissioners to see that those that understanding is clear and that those assumptions or David, you mentioned calibrations that are made, that that is a little bit more apparent. And I understand that may be a little bit rework for staff who have used it and presented it previously, but we see numbers like in the, um, the estuary bridge is a good example. That was, I think, the first time a lot of commissioners that had come in in the last three years had seen numbers of on-island versus off-island trips in actual volumes of what would change with that bridge being available to residents. So I don't know how tall of an asset is. I'll be happy to take an action item to work with staff, but I think some better understanding and orientation around that would benefit everybody. Um, and Vice Chair Ewan, I saw you had your hand up. So was that on this topic or another? Another topic. Okay. I mean, this this project, but obviously not. Okay. So I think that's just an ongoing conversation that we need to have to put better framework around specific projects. <clears throat> okay. Commissioner Nocta, Commissioner White, put his hand down. Commissioner Noctegall, thank you for waiting. Please go ahead. Sure. Thank you, Chair Souls. Can you folks hear me okay? My earbuds ran out of battery. Great. Yep, they're good. So I'm, I'm segueing away from this and I'm going to do general comments because I have some general comments at this point on this project. Um, and I, I mean, I do want to say thank you for the thorough presentation and all the answers to the questions. And at a high level, I'd say the proposed project. It, it, the concept looks good and in, in including the road diet, especially from a safety perspective. Uh, you know, this is a busy corridor and in its current state, it's a crummy corridor for all modes of travel. It, it really stinks. And over the years, 
I, I travel, I travel on this corridor a lot every day, actually. I've crossed this corridor over many years and I've witnessed the speeding drivers, the bicyclists who've been hit by cars, a pedestrian hit by a car lying in the road waiting for an ambulance, drivers swerving around my car and almost hitting pedestrians. Me crossing a street on Lincoln and almost being hit by a car swerving around with my son. And the drivers, they get into collisions and end up in houses, in front yards. It's an awful corridor and it's in desperate need of help. So looking at it as that, I can't discount it. And, and I think that from a safety perspective, there's a lot of good to be had here. And, you know, all of that said, I still do have some comments on areas that I think could be better. And looking at, for example, the roundabouts, the Fifth Avenue roundabout, roundabouts can be really great. I've driven on them, I get them, I'm a proponent of them. And Fifth Avenue, there's a lot of schools right there. I think that there's, a, there's room for safety improvements. Uh, for pedestrians at the Fifth Avenue roundabout. And I know we're gonna be hearing about Wilma Chan Way and Lincoln again, I get that. I think there's room, if there's a roundabout selected, if that's the way we go, I think there's room for safety improvements there too for the pedestrians and, and likely the bicyclists. And, you know, I get it. There's benefits of roundabouts. We talk about roundabouts a lot and it's almost feeling like we're gonna build them all tomorrow, but we know we're not building them all tomorrow. This is gonna be over a lot of years of time, but we don't wanna lose lives. We wanna make sure we do it safely and we wanna do it right. Um, next, I wanna comment on adding trees and green infrastructure. That's great. I think trees and green infrastructure are great especially though you have to be careful with that so that there's clear sight lines. You need to be able to see the pedestrians, the bicyclists, the cross traffic. There's already some green infrastructure that exists on Lincoln that is problematic in the Bay Station neighborhood. It's hard sometimes to see cars. It's hard sometimes to see pedestrians through there. And I don't know if it's the type of plants that are there, the size of plants, the maintenance, but, but be careful with the green infrastructure, especially as you talk about putting it down by schools, by Academy of Alameda. That's a very busy corridor with people crossing all times of day, getting to the buses, getting to the schools, getting kids to and from, all of that is happening in that area a lot. Um, and, and the same, you know, one of the slides showed Morton is having green infrastructure, uh, excuse me, not Morton, the east of Morton having green infrastructure, but then there's another uh, diagram that shows it as having turn lanes. So I'm not sure which it is, but all of that be, be mindful of the green infrastructure. And one other thing I have about Morton is the there should be a painted crosswalk there. It 
there's it right now that's a spot that doesn't have a crosswalk of any color marked in the designs and there really should be a crosswalk there and i think chair souls mentioned this i noticed it in one of the public comments i there's i can't really see why we wouldn't put painted crosswalks at all of the intersections along this corridor it's paint there's a misperception by drivers that if there isn't a crosswalk, they don't need to stop for pedestrians. It's it's real. And so consider putting painted crosswalks everywhere. So those are all my general comments. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Commissioner Noctegall. I appreciate it. Vice Chair Ewan. Thanks, um, Chair Souls, and thanks to staff and Parisi for this fantastic um, proposal, the project um, presentation. I just wanted to really just kind of um, say in general, these are my general comments, that I'm really in, in support of this project. And I think it's a really great project. I agree with uh, Commissioner Noctical that this is a uh, a corridor in dire need of um, a lot of interventions. And um, I think that this is a, a plan that balances a lot of different needs and objectives, uh, both around safety improvements for all modes um, and increasing access um, for pedestrians and bicyclists, but it's also about good circulation. And, and I think that that includes automobiles as well. And so I don't think that they've been left out in any way as part of this. I think we know that, um, I think I, I keep going back to that slide where, you know, the road capacity is three times what the, the current demand is. And um, I, I really do trust the engineers. I do trust Parisi, I do trust our own traffic engineers to do their engineering magic and trust the professionals and how to um, figure out the demand model and the, the future modeling uh, and looking at those numbers. So I trust that. I don't doubt that. And I, I, I really think that it's, that's based on solid foundational um, knowledge and understanding of transportation engineering concepts. And so I have no issues and qualms with that. Um, I also really appreciate the level of community engagement. Great to hear that you took time to speak with the school community uh, and emergency responders, the, the focus groups. You've reached out to us. You've had um, broad um, community engagement, it sounds like. And so I really appreciate all of that. And that's really fed into, I think, a, a plan that seems very uh, responsive to a lot of different needs um, there. And I just want to make a comment about equity because it was brought up. Um, uh, it was said that, you know, uh, biking, not everyone can have access to biking and that's an equity issue. I would also add that um, not everyone has access to a car or can afford to own a car to meet their daily needs. Um, a lot of research has shown that um, households with lower incomes actually own less automobiles and have less access in general. I don't know what the actual stats in Alameda are specifically, but just in general, that is the case in a lot of communities. And I would assume that that is true here. And so 
increasing access to transit and biking and walking is an equitable access issue for everyone. And as, as was mentioned, Lincoln Corridor is a very vital corridor, east-west corridor for the entire city. I also use it every day, every day. And I see the, the same issues and safety issues that are raised. And uh, we have to make that safer. We have to make it safer for drivers. We have to make it safer for pedestrians. And we have to make it safer for um, bikers. Um, absolutely. I also, I just wanted to also comment on sort of the, the a lot of sort of concern around future-proofing. Um, and I appreciate that because we do need to think about kind of different scenarios and, and different and different needs that you know we can't necessarily predict right now. Um, and so I'm not a I'm not a um, an expert in sort of scenario modeling and those types of things, but I would just say that I agree, I think with Gail's comment that the future is really unknown. Um, but what we know, what we know now is that we have safety issues on this corridor and that need to be addressed now. And so that is something we know and that is something we can do something about now. And again, I go back to the safety issue, 65% of respondents who have participated in the workshops, who participate in the survey say that they were, they were either dissatisfied or very dissatisfied with safety along this corridor. I have seen it from my own eyes, people driving 50 miles an hour along this corridor. This is a corridor again in dire need. Um, and I've also been told, <laughs> I've also been told multiple times that, you know, ultimately a lot of what we're putting into the road, not everything, I get, I, I agree that, you know, the roundabouts, that, that's a hard construction, but a lot of what is being planned is paint uh, and repaving on this corridor. And so that can be changed down the line. I've been told that multiple times in this body that these, you know, the plans that we do and the, the things that we put in the ground aren't forever, that can be changed. And so if in 15 years we do need to make changes, we can make those changes, I have no doubt. Um, and the last thing I'll say about the planning process, I think that it's it's interesting to hear that we should be planning holistically. I don't necessarily disagree. I think that that's probably really needed, but I think this is how planning works. We plan project by project. We have multiple projects in the hopper and develop in different stages of development and funding. And that's largely due to funding streams um, and just the procedure of planning. Um, there are trade-offs with that. I, I agree that holistically, it doesn't make a lot of sense if we're trying to plan across the entire community. Why are we doing these one-off specific projects one at a time? However, that's how it happens. And so I don't know if we're asking the planning staff, city staff, consultants to plan differently going forward if we're holding staff and city officials and consultants to a different standard, I don't know, but I, I, I just wanted to bring up that point that unfortunately this is how we plan. And I, I, I don't necessarily know what can be done if there's models out there for planning differently to taking considerations differently. I have, I have questions around that. So I will stop there. I'll just say again, I'm really in support of this project and uh, thanks for all your hard work. Thanks, Vice Chair. 
And, and the planning isn't project to project. I just want to clarify that we do have things like the street classification network, the general plan with the, both the housing and the transportation element, that there are things that drive the objectives for each project. Each project gets put forward. And I think the request is that that project is put into the context of all of those other plans. We just want to see the data piece that that project is put into the context too. So it's not asking above and beyond any normal planning exercise. And I think the staff does an excellent job of planning. And I think that is clearly proven with the amount of grants and funding we receive at the county level. And so um, I just wanna clarify that the planning process is following a very tried and true traditional approach um, of what's being asked. <clears throat> thank you for the rest of your comments and Commissioner Whitesey, thank you for waiting, please go ahead. No worries. Um, Commissioner Ewan said basically everything or almost everything I wanted to say. I agree wholeheartedly with how she approached it. Um, most importantly, just want to be clear, Lincoln Pacific is bad now. There are a lot of unknowns. Lincoln Pacific is bad now. And I also get a little annoyed when we continually talk about how this is going to push traffic elsewhere and we need to plan for that or we need to do something different because of it. Um, there are people that live on on Pacific and Lincoln now and deal with this now. And this idea that any traffic that is removed from that road is detrimental to someone else, I, I get that. But there's a lot of people that have been dealing with the detriments of living on Pacific and Lincoln for the last 25, 30, 40 years. And it's bad. It's like the worst street probably in terms of speed, especially at night in Alameda. So we need to acknowledge there are actual humans that live in houses on that street, quite frankly. Um, a couple of other comments. Uh, I, I think the road diet is obviously the right way to slow things down. Um, the bike lane thing, I, I, I'm for. I think it's good, especially the way it's designed here. I actually think it's a bit of a mistake where we're putting the bike lane protected by park cars, and then I believe at third, we're moving it away from being protected from park cars. Um, there's a little bit of weaving that goes back and forth, and I, if if I had my way, I honestly would just continue it protected by parked cars all the way from, uh, from what is it, College of Alabina, or I don't know, uh, the school <laughs> over by fifth, um, all the way through. Um, the back and forth is a little, potentially lead you to some problems. Um, I wanted to respond to one public comment. The public comment was about how uh, putting roundabouts at Marshall and Pacific and uh, the one at fifth they shouldn't, we shouldn't do that because those are all perfectly fine. They're not perfectly fine. Actually, those are probably some of the weirdest intersections in all of Alameda. Please go drive through there. Um, the solution where they put, where they essentially uh, put this, this dead end or semi-dead end at Pacific so it no longer merges with Marshall, that's a good solution because we should not have people turning left from Pacific, uh, uh, from that street onto Pacific. We should block that off. That is actually one of the weirdest and most counterintuitive turns on the entire island also. So yes, I endorse that. Um, I want to get super granular and be really annoying to the rest of my commissioners just for one minute, if more annoying to my commissioners for just one minute. Um, I have two very small quibbles with this plan. So I don't know if we want to put it up. I can just read it out. It's fine. But if it, in, in exhibit one, if you are coming from, you're coming down Pacific and you're going, you're going east on Pacific, you know, towards Webster, so you're moving a bus stop from essentially Maine and Pacific, and you're moving it to Maine to a Pacific and Second. I agree with that. You have to do it because of the because of the uh, rotary because of the uh, <laughs> roundabout. 
Um, you also have kept the bus stop in at third uh, and Pacific, and that doesn't really make any sense. You should you should move the one that towards second, like you're going to do. You should also then ditch the one that's being put at third, because there's also then the one uh, at the school right down the street. There's way it's, it's it's literally a block. You should get rid of it. There's no reason to have two bus stops that you can basically see from each other. It doesn't make sense. They're, they're way too close. Um, I also have some quibbles with the cross. I, I disagree. I, I almost always agree with Commissioner Noctegall. Um, I disagree with her on one thing on this. I actually don't think we should put painted crosswalks everywhere. I actually think that's a terrible idea. I think this idea that that paint is magic and is a shield and that people are going to pay attention and people are going to, that's not a good idea. We actually should have fewer crosswalks and guide people towards those fewer crosswalks. So we have more frequent crossing at fewer crosswalks. So there's more expectations for cars of where crosswalks are. Um, I don't know. For example, there's a crosswalk at second that crosses over Pacific, a crosswalk currently exists. Um, it's bad. There's no island in the middle from what I can tell from this diagram, it's a really wide street. It's not super necessary there. Um, you're gonna have the ability to cross at the roundabout uh, at Maine and Pacific. You're gonna have the ability to cross at the crosswalks that are at a light at third. You should really strongly consider just getting rid of the crosswalk that, that's, in, that's between second and, or between second and sort of what we call second second. Um, just because it, it it's a it, that's a worst, that's a really bad place to cross the street. It's really wide, and there's no additional safety here. It's basically painting, unless I'm misunderstanding the diagram. So uh, if you're crosswalks, this would probably be one that I would I would get rid of. Um, definitely get rid of the bus stop at uh, at third because it it just slows the entire flow down. Doesn't make sense. In an ideal world, sorry, I'll wrap up because I've I've talked for four minutes and forty seconds. Didn't want to overrun. Um, I would ideally keep bikes behind parked cars all the way from where it starts uh, at the school all the way out to the roundabout. And if a couple people lose a couple parking spots, I don't care. I'm not running for office, but you should do it. Thank you. We don't keep a clock for commissioners. So if you have anything else to add, you're not going to get timed out. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I was trying to set a good example. Um, what else have we got here? No. I somehow okay. I spoke I spoke quickly and covered all my topics. Thank you, Chair. Okay. Uh -huh. I only have a few, and I'm not going to repeat the ones that were already covered by my fellow commissioners. Um, I will say that transitions, Commissioner Whitey, I agreed with you, but I also recognize that it's a really long corridor, and because of that, that just drives those, that design differently because of the driveways, and so. I, making it consistent would actually be a worse bicycle ride because what you'd have to make it consistent with isn't great. Um, so there, I think those sections, I, I don't disagree. The transitions are not elegant, <laughs> but with any kind of long strip, you're going to get that. Um, the curb management, well, I'll first of all say that I absolutely think this is what's needed right now. I think as a driver and a pedestrian, and when I do get over that far to bike, that it would just, it's just going to be a much better experience. Um, the driving is crazy. And I think we'd actually have in the, in the immediate, uh, better, uh, throughput without the terrible, um, lane changes and things like that. I am concerned about, as I mentioned, 
the people who just stop. And so I don't know what we're doing as far as curb management on side streets or what kind of communication we need to do um, moving forward with, especially people who are native to the island. And I don't want to have a bunch of sidewalk furniture with signs, but if we could designate side street curbs specifically, for example, for, you know, you can't stop on Lincoln, but if you are a delivery vehicle, once every two blocks or whatever, you can, you know, pull off and be on a side street or um, consider cur that kind of curb management on Lincoln itself. I just foresee that as being a problem. There's just no place to stop in some of these. Um, so yeah, that's all I really have. I think that it's it's a it's a very necessary project. It needs to be answered to now. I, I am concerned about the future and uh, what it could mean for our transit users. I really hope we take transit improvements seriously and we really listen to AC Transit on our triple liability and other things like that as things come forward. So if we have made a mistake and moving forward with it, that we can have some recourse. Um, but those were my only additional points to add. Commissioner Whitesey. Sorry, I actually did have one more question. I wanted to better understand what a, so I think you used the phrase a permeable cul-de-sac and I think you have two of them on here. And so I wanted, being an amateur, I want to understand in terms of permeability to things like, uh, you know, if you need to get services in there or you need to get pedestrians or bikes through there. But I, I was unclear how they were permeable to services like cops and fire engines, presumably, but not permeable to cars or if it's just like a sign that says don't go this way. I just didn't really understand what the structure was. I can address that real quick. So it's a um, a device that we've used on other projects that is uh, that can be uh, traversed by a fire apparatus. Okay, because the axles and the height it can go right Got over it. it. Yeah. Okay. And on either side, cyclists can also use it. But they are not, they are not, they are not, uh, I don't know, spaced in a way that a regular car could go through there if they decided just they want to cut through to avoid traffic or whatever. Yeah, there'll be some signs, there'll be some uh, floppable posts, but it, it would be a bad idea to do that. You'll ruin okay, that's what I need to know. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> we'll make it very obvious. Yeah. Um, I did have another one too. It was about diversion, but I think it already got covered and... I will say to Commissioner Whitesey's comment that it doesn't matter who's getting more pain. We understand that there's, you know, people have been living in a congested corridor and it's just if it moves congestion, but that's not the problem. The problem is that you're pushing the problem around. And so it creates or moves a problem regardless of who's experiencing it. So I think monitoring diversion in all of these programs, you're just going to hear other public comments from other people that are now experiencing it. And we already got public comments on that. And so I think even if it's not real, there's a perception that needs to be responded to by monitoring it and make sure that we're not trying to play whack-a-mole with moving the problem around sure. and doing something else on that corridor, you know? Can I push back on that just a little bit? Sure. Um, so I, the idea of diversion where you go from like, and I'm making up numbers here, you go from 10 cars an hour on a quiet street to 15, I understand is like, you know, a, a large increase. But if you're, but if the street you're talking about normally has 95 cars and they're all going quickly, and that's a much more dangerous situation, I am personally very comfortable with the idea that some side streets probably will pick up a little bit of traffic because the scale of it is so tremendously different and the speed of that is so different compared to what you're getting on 
Pacific and Lincoln right now. So, it, so it's okay. To, I mean, I think we disagree and that's fine. But I just, I'm, to me, it's, I understand there's going to be spillover. It's just that spillover relative to what's happening on Pacific Lincoln right now is it's a much more dangerous situation. And you're going to get a couple of cars on a couple of side streets. And I, I just, I think that's okay. No, it, and it may not be a problem. That's what I'm saying. Is that yeah, okay. thing that we study? It is a science and it is a problem when those cars go somewhere else because we don't have traffic controls set up to handle that volume. So that, that's why it's not everyone just goes on a side street and drives slowly. It's that people speed through areas that we have not put projects into place for that volume of traffic. And so it is part of a traffic engineering study to avoid that. I'm just saying we should monitor it because it's already a perception in a lot of these projects. Road diets do show more consistent, safer throughput, reducing diversion chances. So I just okay. don't want there to be I, a I perception that it's, it's not... We don't want to push negative impacts around and call that success on a project is what I was just trying to clarify from a from a traffic engineering standpoint. We sure. want to not create new problems when we solve really big ones like like Lincoln. OK. Um, OK. Any motions? I just Opening respond. I just had a. Go ahead, Vice Chair. Yeah, sorry. I have my um, I don't know if you saw my hand up, so I I, I just. I think that's a that's an interesting point about diversion, and maybe that is something you know um, that we should be monitoring and tracking. And I agree with that. That I don't think it's equitable or a good idea to be pushing the problem around uh, if if traffic is sort of being diverted to side streets. However, I would say that you know the ultimate goal or one of the goals, in addition to safety improvement, improving circulation, is that we're increasing active transportation along this corridor, right? And that actually people will hopefully um, be opting to uh, walk more, bike more if they're able to, um, you know, move, go down to transit on Santa Clara, you know, if, if, they, if they can cross this um, corridor more easily. And so hopefully in total that will reduce the number I mean, we, we want to reduce vehicle miles travel. We want to re reduce car trips, especially um, short car trips. And so I guess the question, I don't know if there's any back of the envelope calculation um, on how many fewer car trips this would lead to. I don't, I'm kind of looking to the consultants. I don't know if that was part of your calculation in, at any point in this um, to see like, would this actually reduce vehicle miles traveled? And car trips, and if so, to what degree? Um, great question. We just use a very conservative approach and assume the, the traffic numbers and increase them a little bit more for a factor of safety. We did not pr predict or reduce those numbers based on active transportation trips, which, you know, obviously we hope occurs and, and increases over time. Yeah. With that said, we, we so this model is very conservative because of that, and and you know we just learned I I, I just learned the city of Boston for example um, Commissioner Whitey's stomping grounds apparently state at least is um, does they they actually uh, how they model is is completely different and that they they look at what their goals are and that's what they model towards and so we we what we're doing is so conservative and still it works and so you know kudos to david for being so conservative and that um it's you know even though it's it's 
maybe not best practices like Boston. However, it still works. I would also say, Vice Chair, this is to my comment earlier on a previous agenda item about being able to report on our overall annual plan that because we're doing it in this order and not gearing towards, you know, a benchmark per se, that being able to monitor that on an overall, you know, travel time, VMT, mode shift, those bike counts and the active counts are kind of a missing data piece that we don't really have. So it's hard to do like a before after study, for example, to really, you know, use anything except for some anecdotal, some of the surveys that we've done with the public. And so I think as we go forward, I think that's where this year's annual report really goes a step, step further to getting some of those KPIs and understanding them. And then maybe in the future, we could send, you know, set benchmarks that actually prioritize projects to kind of reach those, you know, right. It's David's bedtime. So we need to start looking at a motion to, to move on or if there's other discussion. Commissioner Whitesey. In two years, I will have lived in California longer than Boston and I will be officially Californian. And I will also make a motion to recommend to endorse the design concept for the Lincoln Avenue Marshall Way Pacific Avenue Corridor Improvement Project with consideration for the commission's comments. Commissioner Noctegal. I'll make a second. All right, let's take a call. Where did Lisa go? She's there. <laughs> I'm here. Oh, um, Chair. Give me one second. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Commissioner Suthanthira, I'm sorry. I had a second on the floor. Go ahead. Um, just a clarifying question. So what we are acting on is um, endorsing the plan, the concept, and then again, um, there will be a there will be an amended action taken later on the Wilma Chan roundabout when there's actually a design recommendation. It's completely TBD in this endorsement. Oh, okay. Does that clarify? I, yes, um, I would like to add, and I mean, if it can be considered as a friendly amendment to the motion, uh, when the Wilma Chan um, um, Lincoln roundabout comes before us. Um, that we also see an overall analysis of the major circulation system. If the timing works out for that, I add that friendly amendment and especially for council given some of the comments tonight. So motion to endorse the design concept that's available with the TBD for Wilma Chan and when Wilma Chan comes back to get additional data on circulation and travel demand. Yes, that would be. It's a revised motion. That's a first. Do I have a second? Second. A... Commissioner Whitesey seconds. We'll can take a, I don't see any other hands raised for any other competing motions. So I will go ahead and put that to a vote. Lisa, please go ahead. Commissioner okay. Johnson. Aye. Commissioner Colstrand. No. Commissioner Napsigal. Aye. Chair Souls. Aye. Commissioner Sukhansira. Aye. Commissioner Whitesey. Aye. And Vice Chair Ewan. Aye. All right. Motion passes.
through the numbers to one. And then um, I think that closes out this agenda item. We have announcements under agenda item seven. So announcements and public comment. I should say thank you again to the late night for all the discussion, both to my commissioners as well as staff and the consultant. <laughs> thank you for your hard work. Okay, now agenda item seven, any announcements? Seeing none, do we have hands raised, public comment? Uh, Jim Strelo. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. You will be removing this after regular agenda items, public comment from future agendas. I dislike the city's plan of removing public comment from all city business meetings as you are just going along with their plan. It is the wrong plan to deal with your citizenry. Yeah? The city has not been holding many public workshops where the city can publicly respond to its citizens. The city seems to have the policy to ignore responding to citizen questions at meetings. That leads to disgruntled taxpayers feeling the city is unresponsive. I want to be gruntled, not disgruntled. For example, last meeting I asked about a link to your video demonstration of a roundabout near a bridge or train crossing with traffic volume similar to the Tilden Way Fernside Blanding intersection. You said it was on the website. It was not. I still await your demonstration video of traffic flow after the roadway reopens after a train crossing or bridge opening. Uh, thank you. Thank you. We'll reach out via email on the video link. Lisa, that's a staff request. Sure thing. I don't see any other hands raised. And so we will close out item seven. I'll entertain a motion to adjourn. Motion I'll make to a adjourn. motion to adjourn. Commissioner Second. White, take yours as a second. Thank you. We're not going to do roll call for this. I appreciate you guys sticking it out late in the night and providing your feedback on a really uh, important project. So thank you. Enjoy. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Let's do this.